Paratopia. It's Jeff. It's Jer. It's Jeff and Jer. Hi. Hi. Uh, John Galanders is our first solo show, The Jeff. Wow. I know. Furthering uh, what is possible with this new format, but not probable if people don't actually send us their shows. Hurry up, people. Yeah. For frick's sake. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah, what do you think? We're doing this for our health? Come on, people. Wake up. We shut this mother down. Um, (laughs) That's a threat, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why don't we... uh... Or uh, you either send us shit. Yeah. Or we'll come back. Yeah, you don't want us to come back, believe me. That's, That's a promise, fuckers. Because we can only go away and come back so many times. You know what we're like? We're kind of like uh, uh, James Brown. Every time he goes down on his knees, the guy has to come over to him with a jacket and help him up, and he's about to go off stage, and then he comes right back to the microphone. That whole thing, that's us. Well, that's that's you. Or the curtain call that never quite goes away. <laughs> what do you mean that's me? <laughs> it's more you than me. But go ahead, please. You know when Iron Maiden, they come out for like their, oh, never mind. <laughs> um, yeah, let's, uh, why don't we just, uh, get right to it and then we'll just come back and chat about, uh, what young Jonathan has to say and oh, so much more. Let's do it. Hello, Paratopia listeners. Um, my name is John Galanders. I'm a musician, writer, uh, sometimes visual artist based out of Seattle, Washington. Um, I kind of randomly stumbled upon Paratopia uh, a few months back uh, after kind of geeking out at podcasts at work to kill time in my boring office drudgery. And uh, uh, it kind of intrigued me in a way that a lot of these other paranormal shows didn't, uh, mainly based on uh, Jeff and Jeremy's uh, desire to talk about their own inner inner experiences, uh, which is something that I think is important and kind of lacking in this world of podcasting um i think a lot of people uh, try and tend to focus more on the kind of nuts and bolts thing as they would refer to it um and i thought maybe i had something i could contribute to the dialogue when i uh, saw that they were looking for submissions because jess with jeff was leaving um and uh based on kind of uh for the last four years or so rather quite spontaneously i've kind of been trying to focus trying to legitimately take uh, avenues of thought, uh, cosmologies of uh, magic with a K, um, or say, you know, sorcery or, or shamanic ideas, um, I really take that, those kind of ideas seriously and apply them in my life. And, you know, almost like testing the hypothesis of, you know, uh, what happens if I try thinking in these different modes of thought that, you know, Westerners wouldn't typically do. And uh, uh, predominantly the response that I've gotten is um, (laughs) it completely changes your inner reality to the point that, you know, all kind of manner of doubt as to the reality of uh, the spirit world, for lack of a better term, just kind of has has vanished uh, from my life. And I think to a certain extent become somewhat of a, uh, a magician or sorcerer, even though I think those terms are are a tad ridiculous in this day and age, or I've kind of been told that by my psychic overseers. Um, so, <laughs> the high strangeness in my life um, 
pretty much started for me. I mean, I guess I had a few experiences as a child where I was looking in the mirror and for some reason, for a second or two, I just, I, there was this doubt as to who I was. There was just, just the, the sense of like, that's not me. Like this person that I'm seeing, this little kid that I'm seeing in the mirror isn't me. But other than that, I wasn't really, you know, I think there was always a natural desire in me for, towards spirituality. I mean, I know I was kind of forced into the church as I was a kid and uh, something about it responded to me, even though I ended up eventually, you know, kind of rejecting the Christian faith in my teens. But, you know, there was a desire for spirituality, but nothing really, you know, super huge and profound. I mean, I was, you know, a weird kid, but uh, nothing super strange. Um, and uh, that pretty much all changed um, uh, the first time that I took psychedelic mushrooms when I was 18 years old. Um, of my uh, first experiences, I am just the, the kind of person that for some reason or another um, has an incredibly strong, profound reaction to uh, drugs like psilocybin or LSD. Um, and uh, <laughs> so, of course, the first time I did it, I, I really, you know, had no idea what I was getting myself into. I mean, I was a partier. It's just, you know, you're a kid, your friend has these drugs, you've tried pot, which actually, you know, was kind of, you know, interesting in itself, and I guess I could get into that later. Um, but, you know, it's like, okay, let's... That's you know that's what we're doing this weekend. We're gonna you know go take psychedelic mushrooms, and so I was going to UC Santa Cruz at the time, and we went to visit this uh, one of my friends' friends in San Francisco, and so we eat these mushrooms, and we're you know walking down to the beach, and at first it's just you know everything's just kind of like we're high and we're happy, and then it was kind of like you know as if mystically somehow the second we get down to the beach. Um, the best way I can describe these experiences is that it's kind of like another realm um, or a kind of hyper-intelligence from another realm invades my subjective universe and kind of projects images from its reality onto my own. And its reality, as far as I can tell, is made up of pure ideas and in, in information. Um, some would refer to it as the imaginal realm. Um, but that's kind of always been my experience. It, it's, it's like my entire world is being beamed, um, <laughs> pure, rapidly mutating, transcendent art forms that, that are just, it's more than I can process, you know, just a constant stream of this otherworldly information and, and, you know, to, to see if there's, like, any kind of coherent message in all of this, there definitely does seem to be this interaction because there was kind of a coherent message. I remember when it first started kicking in, just looking out at the waves and the beach and having kind of this morbid uh, vision of me, you know, I think at that point in my life I was maybe dealing with a certain amount of depression or, or, or you know, darkness as a lot of young teenagers are. And uh, so... I remember looking out at the waves and just kind of having this vision of me walking out into the surf and just letting go of my physical body and sinking to the depths of the you know freezing cold water and realizing that that wouldn't be the end of my consciousness or the end of my existence. It was just immediately clear to me that death 
was was kind of ridiculous that it wasn't the end and uh so that you know right there was just incredibly transformative and when i talk about doing these psychedelic drugs for the first time it really was something that i mean one time i i did it and it completely it, it caused uh what i think john mack refers to often as uh, ontological shock which is always kind of why i've identified with uh you know kind of uh a, a, the people that alien contact experiences or whatever, and how I kind of got an interest in that is fairly interesting uh, as well. Um, so, right there, um, there's this ontological shock. Uh, it, uh, you know, I, I just couldn't, I didn't have the ability to think about things in the same way um, ever again. It was transformed, which was, my entire worldview was transformed, and, you know, a lot of it, because there's just no rational explanation for this kind of thing you know there's no no matter how you look at it from a scientific perspective and you can just say it's all crazy and it's all in your head but the complexity and the sheer seeing intelligence of these encounters there's just no way to explain it. i mean it's all in my head so what these transcendent beings of pure imagination are in my head um what does that mean? But I think more it makes you think about the nature of our reality. It's, you know, how did this hyperintelligence invade my world? It didn't come in through the physical means. It came in through, through me subjectively, and yet it was there. It was a part of the physical realm, almost like imposed on top of it. So these kind of experiences really make you question, you know, the nature of reality and, and think about, you know... Is the world kind of just a hologram? Is is it more kind of just malleable and in your head, which I think ultimately is a very liberating avenue of thought. And so the other thing is after I had these experiences, or the, the first kind of mushroom experience that I had, I was going to UC Santa Cruz, and I was a you know just college student, and I had these kind of experiences of bilocation and to put it one way, it's like I was kind of going through my daily life as a college student, you know, just doing normal things like going, you know, uh, to get food uh, in the dining halls, uh, hanging out with friends, going to classes, and I was simultaneously floating above myself, kind of looking at myself from above, from behind, and that's the best way I can describe it, and it's it's weird how I could be at both places at once, and it didn't seem too bizarre at the time either. There wasn't like this sense of shock while this bilocation was going on. It seemed normal, and yet, you know, and it only happened a few times, and it's never really happened since, uh, but it was the sense of me being above myself and simultaneously my body, like two different perspectives, you know, one in a first person, one in kind of a third person setting, uh, perceiving myself simultaneously. And I, I can't really say, other than in dream states, that I've gotten uh, that kind of effect again. So obviously this is a fairly atypical reaction uh, to psychedelic drugs, and that was part of why this was a difficult experience for me to deal with maybe at the time, is because, you know, suddenly you're a freak, you know. I wanted to talk about all these weird metaphysical ideas that, you know, and, and these other people, they had a profound experience when they took the drugs with me, but it wasn't akin to what 
I went through. I mean, they all seemed fairly normal when I would try and talk about the high strangeness and the people that I was hanging out with at the time. And, you know, ever since, to a large extent, just kind of look at you like, what? You know? <laughs> I mean, that's just kind of the way it is. Um, so just to point out that it's just, yeah, for some reason I have a very atypical uh reaction to psychedelic drugs but what i find fascinating about that is that it seems that um under the influence of uh like dimethyltryptamine or um to a certain extent ibogaine which neither one i've ever tried it seems like you know anyone can have this kind of spirit world contact experience under the influence of psychedelic drugs which is something that i think that finally science is opening more up to these ideas but i think it's uh an important aspect of human psychology that we're yet to really uh, study extensively. Um, and that's how I <laughs> actually kind of right after uh, this initial, you know, uh, psychedelic, you know, transformative initiation, right, experience. I was, you know, uh, down at the thrift store in Santa Cruz, um, you know, going through this all that, like having no one to talk to, no one to relate to, which is, I think, uh, a part of the big importance of, you know, say shows like Paratopia in general is to give people a forum, people that have had these strange experiences, a forum in a sense that, uh, you know, they're not the only pe people that have gone through these things or different bizarre things, you know. I think that's increasingly important in this day and age. And um, uh, back, so back when I was dealing with all this stuff initially, I mean, I, I had to had to find it in books. And um, so, you know, I was down at the thrift store in Santa Cruz looking for new clothes for the weekend or whatever, you know, my angry young alternate kid 90s persona. And uh, right after I kind of had these, psycho, uh, uh, these psychedelic experiences and I randomly um, uh, stumbled upon a copy of Whitley Strieber's uh, Communion and it was like 50 cents. So I bought it just as a joke and... Uh, <laughs> which I think brings up an interesting point that I could make about alien phenomena in general. Uh, in my mind, one of the most important things to take away from alien phenomenon and what we're just seeing in culture in general is the effectiveness of propaganda campaigns because I would have to say that I was of the mind initially picking up this release really like I said, I did it as a joke. Uh, because I thought it was funny, you know, it was like aliens, you know, who are these nutty people, whatever, you know, and most of the time whenever I would bring up aliens to most people that I've hung out with uh, throughout my life, you know, and or just randomly at parties and conversations, you know, I've almost learned to just not go there unless it's opened up because the negativity you get fired back at you is, is undeniable, and and people are just so not open to the idea. And because it does, it's in the westernized mind, in the way that we're brought up, it seems ridiculous. And there has been a propaganda campaign waged by the media, waged by, you know, the government, a, a disinformation campaign that's been incredibly effective in regards to alien phenomenon, that it's still seen as completely ridiculous. And I think most paratopia listeners probably know what I'm talking about, but I think it's... Very effective. It works. <laughs> you know, uh, the propaganda is incredibly effective at manipulating people's thoughts, and I had fallen victim to that uh, like anyone else. I mean, I thought it was ridiculous. Um, but when I was in this state of dealing with this ontological shock, uh, reading Whitley Strieber's book, 
I could totally identify uh, with this idea of higher dimensional thought or the, the idea that we are extra or higher dimensional creatures that, you know, there's, there's uh, more to us than meets the eye. And that's something that, and that Whitley was talking about is, you know, dealing with this coming to terms with the acceptance that uh, the psychic reality of humanity and, you know, the universe is, is, is much broader uh, than we're brought to believe. And so I've kind of had an interest in, um, alien stuff ever since. Uh, I mean, I'm not super hardcore into it, and I can flat out say I've never, <laughs> when I read about these alien uh, contact experiences, I've never had anything close to what's going on in your world. The strangeness that I'm going through in my world is a, a different brand of strangeness for sure. I think a different head of the same beast. Um, and I think ultimately the difference in these encounters with the other realm is the extreme fear. For me, uh, my, say, initiations with psychedelic drugs, as much as they were bizarre and unexpected, there was always this sense of divine pleasure, almost pleasure that's too exotic and too intense for you to handle this sense of otherworldly, psychically transforming transcendent bliss that just lasts an eternity that takes you to this timeless state of of wonder and it, just having these encounters with this pure imagination as much it was as it was psychically transformative and frightening and dealing with the repercussions of it uh, were a very difficult thing to do when existing in the context of our current culture and society which I sometimes jokingly refer to as the spiritual dark ages uh, but and then alien abductees accounts, I mean, oftentimes, sometimes they, they have that bliss aspect to it, uh, but other times, I mean, it seems very much like, you know, just the, the fear notion uh, pervades these things. And I, and I could go into theorizing that um, this experience is for people that are too addicted to, to rationality, that are too, uh, if John Mack was writing this hypothesis that, you know, it's... Uh, an outreach program for the consciously impaired or for the consciousness impaired, um, then the reason that people would be having these experiences would be because they're just still unable to deal with the reality of the existence of, uh, you know, our own imaginal nature or, you know, the fact that we are beings of, of pure imagination. And I know that that idea probably sounds a tad new agey, but it, I think possibly it's the inability to accept the psychic nature of the universe, which is why these experiences are manifesting to really, you know, help pull people out of, uh, out of the, the hell of rationality that they've created uh, for themselves. The, the ego, the idea that um, they're ultimately in control, which is an illusion to a certain extent, or, or, or seems to be, seems to me to be an illusion. Uh, um, so it, it just gets weirder from there. I mean, I, I, I started reading some Whitley Strieber books. I know right around this time in my life when I was going through this, uh, obviously it was so profound that I even you know ended up talking to my parents about it, who weirdly enough, 
both being, you know, going to Berkeley during the 60s, neither one had really experimented with psychedelic drugs much because they were nerds. And, uh, uh, well, my dad was in actually medical school and my mom was a little batshit crazy, so it's probably good that she never experimented with psychedelic drugs. But neither one of them um, had really, you know, much to tell me, although because of the pervasiveness of culture in the era that they grew up that grew up in, um, you know, my dad gave me a book by Carlos Castaneda, and uh, I took a few, uh, I think uh, two of the more bigger points that I took from uh, Carlos Castaneda's writing was this idea between the difference of uh, faith and knowledge. And to, to discuss that concept uh, for a minute, it, it's the difference between you can say, I think, you know, or I, I believe that there is a, a, a spiritual reality, and it's different to seek out direct contact with that reality and say, I, you know, I know, I've seen it, I've been there. And we don't accept that kind of knowledge in, in Western culture that people know. And, you know, I say this to people, and they're just like, no, you don't. And it's like, well, whatever, you, know, you can think that way. But I do, I've seen the other side to a certain extent. Um, at least that's my experience. Uh, what goes on in my world is is vastly different than what goes on in the world of your quote-unquote Joe Sixpack or, or, or normal person, or quote-unquote normal, whatever that means. Um, but I can definitely say, in talking to others, and this is all I can say, I mean, I'm not looking for proof anymore or, or things like that. I, you know, I can tell you about what goes on in my world, and you can wrestle with whether that's real or unreal. It's really down to you. Uh, it's It's... I don't care <laughs> at this point. I really don't. Uh, you know, I think there's people that are open to it and can can maybe learn from some of the experiences that I've had. But if you're just going to wrestle with whether this is real or not real, you know, then that's your trip. Have fun with it. Um, so I think that concept is important, um, you know, the, diff- the difference between faith and knowledge. And I, I think I wrote that at that second that I had that revelation about death uh, in um, San Francisco on the beach that... I knew in that instant that, you know, death was, death was not a big deal. Like it just wasn't. (laughs) And when you think about how much of human behavior is based around the idea that it is, uh, it's kind of mind boggling. The other thing that I think I took away from uh, Carlos Castaneda to, in his writings to a large extent is this concept of, in a way, not only talks about being friends with, with, death, which is something I've had kind of experiences that, is, that have led to or led me to think that way, that, whether that's because I read Castaneda or, or, or whatnot, and, you know, actually my wife has had the same kind of visions as if death is an ally, and that, that concept of allies in the other realm, friends, uh, people that kind of know you or know your psychic nature... Um, and are your allies is, is another thing that I think was important that I took away from Castaneda. Um, because for some reason or another, these, <laughs> these mushroom entities, these DMT mind entities wanted to communicate with me. Uh, you know, for some reason, uh, they wanted to show me their world. Um, so, and, and I always also thought that the psychedelic experience to me, 
it struck me as being more like a communication with a higher form of intelligence or another form of intelligence, which is not the way it's looked at. But that's always the way it struck me. And then you read something like Castaneda, which is, you know, based on, uh, I think a lot of it's actually kind of fictional, but it's based on a lot of readings he did about, you know, uh, Toltec sorcery and uh, Native American um, magical practices that uh, this idea that it is communication with the other realm, that these are entities and that uh, for some reason that these entities are your friends and allies, like, you know, they're, they're on your team is, I think, something that's kind of important in, in, in my reality to this day. At the same time, uh, the other uh, primary book that became a big influence on my life was uh, Journeys Out of the Body and that series of books by Robert Monroe. Um, and, uh-oh, I know we're going into New Age territory here. Um, and these are books about, you know, out-of-body, how to, you know, leave your body and have out-of-body experiences or astral projection, as other uh, people refer to it. And, you know, this is one of these phenomenon that has... For some reason, it's just not considered hip or cool enough or for whatever. I think mainly because it's kind of been categorized into more of these new age circles. And because of that, I think a lot of people have a really bad opinion of it. And at this point in my life, it was just something my mom gave me when I was going through this uh, period of spiritual transformation. So, you know, I was open to it. I was just like, you know, whatever. Um, And... (laughs) similar to alien phenomenon, I think new age phenomenon to a certain extent. Um, uh, there's this aspect of me too. And I think I heard Jeremy talking about this at one point, a lot of new age philosophy tends to ignore the dark side, uh, for lack of a better term, um, in our world, um, the complexity of it, um, which is something that I, I don't at all. And, uh, I, new age phenomenon, Yes, I, I get the same vibe, especially in, in New Age circles. And, you know, it, in a way, I'm almost envious that they have this ability to psychically block out and just channel this pure white light of 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 goodness. But I, I, I think that kind of, kind of thought is really, you can blind yourself to certain things. And I don't know if you're truly helping yourself, if that's, who knows. Uh, but, uh, so definitely astral projection, uh, out of body experiences, Robert Monroe's writings have, you know, ended up kind of floating around a new age, um, hell, even though I, uh, I think there's, uh, there's definitely something there. Well, I mean, I know there is, um, so basically Robert Monroe, uh, was a successful, uh, radio entrepreneur and businessman. And, um, when he got into his, I believe, his late 40s, 50s, he started spontaneously having, you know, out-of-body experiences, which goes to psychologists, and, you know, people have heard of these things, but there's no real answers, and so, you know, his experiences get pro- progressively more and more bizarre, and he ends up writing books about them, and he started uh, the Monroe Institute uh, for Studies, you know, he funds up a, a non-profit, his own money for studies into consciousness and how to induce out-of-body experiences, um, and he comes up with this... Uh, hemisync technology, which is patterns of sound waves that, you know, supposedly separate your brain in a manner um, that can get you into the state by which you can leave your body. What I found, and this is what's fascinating, and when you get into, say, thought modalities of chaos magic or uh, Crowleyan magic, um, it's interesting, the idea of hypnosis and ideas actually being having the ability to create psychic reality um, and it's the same thing if you look into, say, hypnotism in, in Western medicine. You know, your hypnotism is ultimately programming your brain. And 
the power of suggestion is enormous in our psychology as far as actually creating psychic reality. So despite this hemisic technology that uh, the mineral industries have, Monroe Industries, the Monroe Institute has been developing, which I, I experimented with and absolutely worked. When I was first reading uh, Journeys Out of the Body, Robert Monroe talks about the vibrational state necessary to um, achieve astral travel and achieving the state, which is, you know, essentially sleep paralysis, which is something that I don't really hear a lot of other people in alien phenomenon or otherwise talking about, is that Astral projection, at least by Monroe standards and most that I've read, and sleep paralysis are very similar. Um, essentially, you're attaining this vibrational state from which you can then leave the body. Um, but I will say that as much as you can use these hip, these tapes and these hypnosis programs to learn how to achieve these state, this state and then roll out of your body, when it was just suggested to me by reading the book, I remember that night, I mean, the strangest experience. You read the book that this state is possible, and then that night, I found myself waking up kind of in this sleep paralysis uh, uh, state. Uh, and uh, so the idea when you reach this state is that to then be able to roll out of your body from there, which, weirdly enough, is something that I've never been able to do. Um and I've read all his books, and, and, and just to go back a little further, I started, uh, my mom had a series of kind of uh, hemi-sync tapes and these exercises that you were going to do to try and have out-of-body experiences. And so I experimented with these um, for a while. Um, and basically, what I found is I couldn't really have an out-of-body experience in the traditional sense. You're supposed to get in a sleep paralysis state, and then you're supposed to roll your ast your astral body out of your regular body, kind of. And I think maybe one time I managed to do that, and I was just so weirded out that I initially snapped back into my body. Um, but moreover, though, even though I couldn't do astral projection in a traditional sense, what I found is that pursuing this led me into the realms of lucid dreaming. And what I would find is that I would find myself in this state, and rather than leaving my body and being kind of more in the physical world and hovering above my body, I would kind of be entering these kind of realms of pure imagination uh, that often were at my control in a state where I was fully aware that I was dreaming, um, completely cognitive, totally lucid, and seemingly controlling the environments and having experiences where I could manipulate these psychic environments to my will. And you can go back and forth about, well, that's all your imagination and it's real or not. Um, the one thing that I would say is that it feels, these states feel just as normal as regular conscious reality. What I mean by that is, I mean, well, to further point, it seems so real when I'm in these states that there's a trepidation about doing what I want, say, trying to fly out of a window, or trying to trying to actually manipulate reality, I don't know, <laughs> sadly trying to, you know, get women naked, whatever, you know, perform lewd sex acts, uh, manipulate this world into, you know, what I, whatever I want to make it. There's this trepidation about taking that extra step, because it seems so real, and there's always this disorienting, like, wait, how can this be... You know, what's going on? Oh, I'm dreaming. And then you get it. But the worlds are so real that 
because of this trepidation, I literally, one of the tests that I developed to get myself, to convince myself that I was dreaming in these states was quite literally to put my hand through a wall. Uh, you know, because it's so convincing in the state that it's almost hard to believe that this isn't real. So I literally have to go walk over to a wall, and that would be my test, is put my fist up to a wall, and it would give a resistance, and then eventually my hand would go through the wall, and I'd be like, okay, I'm dreaming. But it seemed, they're, they're, these states, in this experience that I have, it seems real to the point where I can't even, you know, I need to do things like that just to convince myself that I'm actually dreaming. And it's like, okay, now you're dreaming. Now, you know, go nuts, do whatever you want. Um, because there's this idea of, you know, that there's consequences in, in, in reality or that there, there aren't consequences there like there are in a regular reality. Whether that's true or not, I couldn't tell you. So, you know, needless to say, just um, getting to this profound state where we're now, I mean, okay, yeah, I didn't have a typical out-of-body experience, but I taught myself how to lucid dream and to enter these other quote-unquote non-real states, these imaginary states, which seem completely real. Um, so just that in itself, um, there's a value in, in, in pursuing things like astral rejection as, as new agey or, or whatever as it seems. Um, I guess the other thing I could say uh, in regards to astral projection is that you're right, it gets this bad rap of being uh, very new agey, but I can't say that it doesn't recognize uh, the duality of existence. Although I will say, you know, maybe there's a benefit to intentionally thinking about things in a way that these things can't hurt you or don't have any power over you. Um, but Obviously, even in Robert Monroe's writing, I think in Journeys Out of the Body, I don't remember exactly which of the trilogy of books that he wrote uh, this passage came from. I believe it was in the first one, and it resonated with me. It was this experience that he had where he was in his bed, and this you know light from the heavens beamed directly into his eternal soul and kind of gave him this transmit, transmission telling him that human life... Uh, as as we uh, you know participate in it is ultimately kind of a shit job, like uh, working in a gas station or, or something like that. But it's necessary. It needs to happen. But yeah, sorry you got stuck with that shitty job of having to live these human lives. I mean, it's important, but there, there's there's better things in the world. And so you know, I, I think it definitely it, it, you know there, there's a darkness to it. And as a matter of fact, as there's a reason that I stopped doing it. Um, and, and, well, there's a reason that I stopped trying and listening to these tapes. And, and the main reason is because a lot of these experiences that I had initially were actually rather frightening. Um, and weirdly uh, kind of delved into kind of incubus uh, succubus territory uh, straight up I know it sounds fucking crazy uh, absolutely happened to me um, so weirdly the first one of these experiences that I remember um, I was uh, it, it was oddly like a week after I lost my virginity um, and so I was lying in bed taking a nap and all of a sudden um I found myself, you know, I was regularly sleeping, and then all of a sudden I was in the sleep paralysis state. And this is one of the first that I remember of what I refer to contact dreams or 
astral contact encounters or something because a lot of people that get into astral projection talk about meeting uh, quote unquote spirit guides um, and um, these beings kind of communicate um, and, and I think this is something that is common to a lot of different psychic phenomena including alien phenomena in, is this idea of telepathic um, communicate and the reality of that and that these beings seem to contact in manners of taking control of your consciousness and showing you glimpses of their world in a coherent metaphor. That this is the next level of communication is learning to con to communicate in psychological in psychological metaphor or and not not necessarily psychological metaphor, but in um, imaginative metaphor. Um, you know, so rather than talking about a scenario, you know, projecting a full-on three-dimensional or, you know, four- or five-dimensional scenario into each other's minds as a means to communicate. And, you know, I think this kind of telepathic communique is common in a lot of different psychic phenomena. And I can, I can say that when I talk about these astral kind of contact dreams, encounters, uh, which have been some of the most profound in my life, uh, uh, absolutely, uh, that's what I'm talking about, is that I'm in a sleep paralysis state. And all of a sudden, there's a being next to me that seems to be transforming my consciousness and kind of showing me its inner world, or moreover, just kind of like working on a, a brief project. Like, oh, here's this world. Um, here, let me show you this aspect. So this first experience that I was having, um, like a week after I had uh, lost my virginity or so, and lying on the couch... Um, all of a sudden, I come back from normal dreaming, and there's this astral entity next to me, and, and it's kind of projecting things in this world, and it starts off with me flying over this kind of planet, and yet <laughs> the entire planet was kind of exquisite claymation. It was like this weird claymation world. And so we're just kind of flying over the entire landscape, just kind of marveling at the, the landscape of this world. And then there's some animals on it. I think it was a zebra and a lion. Or, or maybe a bear, and I'm sitting there looking at these two things and just being like, okay, whatever, and all of a sudden, like, the bear, or I think it was maybe a bear or a lion ran up and, like, took a bite out of the zebra, and at that point, I was just kind of disturbed, and I woke up then kind of in the sleep paralysis state. At first, you know, I was kind of like, I knew it was lucid dreaming what was going on, but something else was controlling it, it, you know, the headspace, and then all of a sudden, I kind of snapped into this other environment where it's just straight sleep paralysis, and there was this entity being next to me, uh, sucking on my nipples. Uh, I mean, straight up, just crazy. And, and yeah, literally kind of molesting me, like licking my neck, um, sucking on my nipples. And of course, at that point, you know, I flip the fuck out and, you know, the fear response takes over <laughs> and you're like, oh my God. And so the thing, you know, flies away and, uh, eventually I wake up, um, <laughs> and, you know, you know, just, you know, predictably, you know, freaked out uh, a, a bit, and, um, so, you know, um, sex with ghosts, um, and so I kind of had another experience, um, like that, um, this is years later, well, I've had, I had several of these, and in fact, one, there was this kind of threatening encounter where I was suddenly in this world, and this being was having sex with me, and yet it was a male, and I was freaked out because, you know, I was kind of like... I'm gay, or, you know, he's, you know, I'm like, I'm not gay, and so I kind of tried to immediately leave his reality that he had sucked me into, and he was just kind of freaked out, like, no, you are gay, 
you know, <laughs> just like really, really pissed off. And literally, I woke up once again, just terrifying experience, waking up like, what the fuck? I'm being, you know, psychically molested in my sleep. Um, so a, another kind of profound uh, experience like that I had, it was, I was dating this girl in college, and I swear this, it seemed, I mean, if I were going to interpret this experience in any way, I would seem like somehow, this girl, just to start things off, we had a, a, a rather... Uh, well, it was one of those situations where I, I was going to school at Ohio State in Columbus, and I knew I was going to be moving to the West Coast. And it was a purely sexual relationship. I had no interest in this girl whatsoever, uh, as as far as a serious relationship goes. And, and even yeah, I mean, even if I was staying, honestly, and I was very upfront about it with this. But you know, I let her on for a while. It went on longer than it should have gone on. So it seemed like. Honestly, this this dream experience when I talk about this, it seems like a psychic lot. It, it was like a manifestation of what was going on in the relationship. So, or so, or like her spiritual over soul soul was trying to purchase me. And let me explain. So I I'm, I'm sleeping, and all of a sudden I kind of realize I'm in a lucid dream state, and it's a sexual encounter state. And this is just absolutely weird. And it's like this being was giving me the ability to transform it into whatever sexual form I wanted, you know, like your fifth dimensional sex slave, you know, I can mold to whatever psychic form you want. <laughs> and so I was kind of partaking in this for a while and molding it to the best of my abilities. And then I molded it into this girl's, one of this girl's really good friends who she had almost kind of planted the idea of me thinking about this girl sexually by showing me naked pictures that she had taken of this girl at a party. I don't know why she decided to show these to me. So anyways, that's the girl that I wanted the form to, to take. And when I willed it into this form, it got very angry with me. And then I found myself... And, and when it did, I, got, I found myself back in the sleep paralysis that kind of like out of its world that it had sucked me into. And once again, it's kind of looking on my neck and, and wanting to have sex with me. And I basically say, uh, it, well, no, then it tells me essentially that, can't you see I'm trying to buy you? You know, like, it's trying to purchase me psychically. And, and why the idea of this one image that happened to be this girl's friend offended it so much, like I said, very odd. So once the concept of ownership was brought up, like, can't you see? You know, at first I'm kind of like, how oh, this thing's making out with me, whatever. And then the second the concept of ownership came up, once again, you know, the fear instinct, the primal reptilian response just went into overdrive. I freaked the fuck out. Um, and this is one of the few times I actually kind of caught a glimpse of this thing in the street paralysis state. And I shit you not. So the thing gets up. Um, like, you know, I feel it next to me, and it gets up, and it's this translucent female body I see walking across my room over to the light switch. And, uh... And I'm freaking out. Like, I'm just absolute terror. Like, this is so frightening to me. And I'm just like, and it stops by the door, looks back at me, you know, this perfect, translucent, beautiful, naked woman. And I, you know, I'm just like, please turn on the lights, turn on the lights. I'm frightened, you know, and it's standing by the light switch. And it looks at me, looks back, and goes, uh, turn them on yourself, fucker. And then just takes out, takes off out the door. And. And so then I wake up and I back, I find myself in, you know, uh, pure waking, uh, normal state of consciousness. And, you know, this is back in, I'd say, uh, 97, 98, before I was really, no, I guess it was maybe like year 2000, actually. But, you know, this is before I had, like, dial-up internet. And I remember at this point being, 
you know, waking up and like, you know, once again, actually, probably I think it was around three in the morning the, to, to further Jeff, Jeff and Jeremy's hypothesis. But I remember waking up at this at this time and just being so terrified and and, and wishing that there was you know someone I could talk to about you know this experience that I just had because it was so so frightening and bizarre. And you know, and, and that's why it's good that there's things like Paratopia because you know. I, uh, or you know, all the internet broadcasts or, or podcasts today about these things because it's very important that people that are going through them uh, don't feel, uh, you know, incredibly alienated. I mean, I found I alleviated with this alienation uh, uh, with books primarily, but uh, so you know, with these kind of incubus succubus uh, type of scenarios uh, in in my psychic life. Um, that's the reason that I stopped pursuing. Like I had some very frightening experiences with astral projection, which is the reason I stopped like using the hypnosis tapes and trying to uh, pursue this avenue of thought a, a lot further. What I found eventually is that even though I stopped doing the tapes, um, I kind of slip into this sleep paralysis dream state naturally. You know, um, it just it just happens and. Um, what I also found is where I, was, I couldn't leave my body in the manner described by, you know, your sage, uh, you know, astral traveler. I, um, you know, and I'll say it, a few times I got the impression, um, and this goes into kind of a uh, more magical thought about the concept of a holy guardian angel, or I refer to it as things like cosmic overmind. Um, uh, the idea that... I, I kind of got the impression that I was almost on a leash. Like, we don't want you going on the astral realm. That's dangerous to you at this point. Um, it's not beneficial. Like, we've got you under wraps. You can go to your other thing in these imaginal realms, but just the straight astral realm, like, you're tethered to your body. We, you can't go that far from your body. Like, you've got work to do here, almost, or, you know, maybe chained, you know. I, I like to think it's time for my per protection, you know possibly enslavement, I guess. You know, maybe it's my prison chain. Uh, <laughs> um, so, I slip into this state, and once again, I still, to this day, kind of have these contact dreams where these I find myself in these sleep states. And, and I think there's kind of like three different... I know, uh, especially Jeff on the show, is very quick to kind of dismiss sleep states. So if you want to call these astral contact dreams or whatever, but I kind of have three distinct sleep states that I, I typically, you know, or dream states. One is just kind of the average dream where I'm not lucid and in control. And what I found about those, though, is a lot of times those do very well have a bearing in reality. And, and, and I guess that's kind of more that I've gotten into astral projection and, and dreams, the more that I've had psychic dreams. And so to this extent, and I've had so many in my life, constantly now is just a series of getting images um, beamed into my head that uh, that end up having a bearing in reality. So ultimately, you know, testing these things in a physical realm, which I think is, is very important, or insisting that, you know, these extraterrestrials inhabit the physical world and that we just need to find physical proof. That's just a means of communication. You know, you know we're so... <laughs> we've been so tricked in my mind into thinking that that's important. Um, when ultimately what's important is, is proving these things to yourself, you know, and developing a new, a new kind of science. I mean, and that's why I think I sometimes refer to myself as what I've been doing lately uh, as, you know, chaos sorcery or, or, or something like that or, or, or for more scientific 
perspective, uh, trans-dimensional psychology. And ultimately, you know, how this kind of inquiry has been deemed non-scientific by the forces of order um, is kind of fascinating to me because in my mind, um, this is why... (laughs) You know, this is what I'm doing is scientific to a certain extent. Is astral projection real? Well, I tried it. I had some incredibly bizarre um, experiences. Uh, I seem to open up a realm of communication with the spirit realm. So, okay, there we go. Experiment one. So, the new thing uh, that I've uh, definitely uh, been working on is is magic and the story of how I got it started. working things in a more magical context is kind of a fascinating one um, because growing up in Western culture, you know, in, in, in suburban Ohio, <laughs> where I spent a lot of my childhood doing things like playing sports, uh, you, you, you're forced into this, this, this world of scientific rationalism. And I mean, I was trapped in as much as anyone, which is why more when I, you know, I was kind of more prone to new agey ideas when I was younger, I guess. I mean, I was open to a lot of ideas, but I was definitely, you know, prone to kind of the more scientific end, the UFOs, the idea that this is physically real and, you know, how significant that is. And and ultimately, I think the significance in that is that (laughs) the physical world is illusory. So, you know, these alien beings can present themselves as anything they want, you know. Uh, The rules aren't as constricting uh, as to what uh, reality reality is consciousness and the rules aren't as constricting as we think and it seems to me that these beings uh, can really manipulate reality in any manner they see fit um, because it's purely imaginative but um, so how I got into magic uh, so I've been reading all these books and I'm, I grew, I've you know been raised in the same kind of western scientific mindset that I think most people uh, are, and, you know, struggling to get out of that is very difficult, and so years of reading these books about the reality of psychic phenomenon and how it's been proved, you know, which is something that I think definitely people ignore, I mean, psychical phenomenon has been demonstrated in a, you know, scientific context, there's, there's been so many experiments that are done, and the implications of things like remote viewing are ridiculous, and I, I know on the show Jeff has kind of been quick to bash to remote viewing and point out that it's an accurate and I, I agree with that synopsis, uh, but at the same time, it's one of those things where the implications are a little more significant than the applications. As far as I can tell, when you look into stuff like that, it's just proof that telepathy is real. You know, it's a real phenomenon. We don't understand it very well, but it has been psych- scientifically demonstrated. Um, and that's in my years of reading about that kind of thing. I kind of wanted to study parapsychology in school, but at Ohio State was told. You know, that's bullshit. You can't study it. And there was no other schools in the state of Ohio where I was going to school where I could have picked that up. So I just kind of realized that, you know, it's useless to study those kind of things in an academic context to a certain extent um, at this point because your findings are just going to be ignored. I mean, people aren't looking at the research for psychical phenomenon to a large extent. It's just not something they're willing to accept. The data's out there, but, you know, people just, it just gets ignored. It doesn't matter what you prove. It's going to be marginalized based on philosophy alone. And uh, so I've been reading books about alien phenomenon, you know, some kind of, you know, some books about, you know, sorcery, shamanism, but a lot about remote viewing, um, things like that, um, psychical phenomenon, you know, trying to appeal to this westernized mind. And then, you know, over and over again, uh, the idea of westernized magic, uh, 
you know, there's a lot of authors uh, that I respect a lot uh, that were very influenced. I mean, obviously, um, like Robert Anton Wilson was very influenced by Crowley. Um, also, Timothy Leary. Uh, also, you know, even musicians, I, I mean, the influence of Crowley is just, you know, crazy. Um, you know, Jimmy Page owned, owned, you know, as a musician, Jimmy Page owned one of Crowley's houses. When I was young, I was an enormous Tool fan, and they were always, you know, I think uh, Danny Carey, the drummer from Tool, was always rambling on about Crowley. Uh, and, you know, I tried to read some Crowley uh, on several different occasions, and his, first of all, I, I'd like to start off by saying I think I, Crowley was on to some very important concepts. I personally don't like him that much. Um, I, mainly, uh, he, he wrote, in my mind, what his writing was far too esoteric. He was really, and I understand the reason for that. Uh, plus, aesthetically, I'm just not as much of a horror movie metal aesthetic guy, you know. Um, I kind of like, you know, psychedelic day-glow uh, type of aesthetic better. And a lot of Crowley, I mean, and a lot of his stuff has been co-opted by culture to be... Um, you know, Gur, Arg, I'm the Great Beast, Satan, you know, demons, you know, shit like that, um, which has never really appealed to me either. Um, so immediately I'm turned off. You know, I've, I've always joked it kind of seemed like some Dungeons and Dragons bullshit to me. Um, but, you know, over and over again, uh, you know, people, it was finally uh, in an interview in um, Arthur Magazine with Grant Morrison that kind of was maybe something that definitely facilitated uh, my interest in magic. And uh, he talked about it in a more scientific context. He talked about it in a way that he'd been doing uh, Crowleyan magic for years to try and prove it wrong and had proved the exact inverse. And to somebody growing up, you know, with the kind of more uh, scientific rationalist mindset, that was something that was just like, hey, you're right. I mean, what do you got to lose? I mean, so the magic doesn't work. Who cares? You fucked around with it. Uh, as a writer, you know, none, if nothing else, it's an interesting story. You know, I, I, I screwed around with magic. But still, I wasn't accepting it. Um, and so then, uh, roughly, uh, you know, I'd say three or four months after. And plus, I, I bought this, uh, the Disinformation Company, Disinfo.com, released a book of lies. And I think it was kind of Grant Morrison's uh, commentary that let me be like, oh, let me by that. It's kind of a background into a lot of different kind of magical thoughts. Uh, and so, uh, one that intrigued me the most, uh, uh, kind of honestly, based on the idea of uh, my understanding of remote viewing or what I'd read about it, it was uh, something called Sigil Magic, which was developed primarily by Austin Osmond Spare, and I won't get into that uh, too much right now. Uh, but that was something that... Um, and something Grant Morrison had pushed as well is, you know, this idea of sigil magic. So, anyways, so I've read a lot about this stuff. I'm reading an increasing amount about it, and yet still I'm not convinced. Still I'm like, this shit, it just sounds too crazy to me. It just sounds too bizarre. Um, it's too far out. Um, and so I was going through this stretch of my life where I was actually uh, unemployed for a while. I was collecting unemployment and just kind of looking for work. And in all honesty... <laughs> my partying was getting, you know, fairly out of control. And, uh, which is, you know, my drinking, this old band that I was in was, a, a, you know, it involved a lot of drinking. And uh, I think I definitely uh, was skirting the line with death on several occasions, maybe calling in my connections. Um, so anyways, my drinking had kind of spiraled out of control back again, and I was well, obviously I was unemployed. And I remember I was taking a nap in the middle of the day, you know, probably rather than looking for work like I should have been. Um, 
and out of nowhere, uh, like, I was awoken from this dream, um, by, and this is weird, because I don't normally insist upon things being either in the imaginal world or the physical world, and yet this is one of the few cases in my life where it absolutely seemed to be physical. Like, there was a clapping in my room, which awoke me from my sleep, and it was in the same manner that a hypnotist a lot of times would awaken his subjects. Just the clap, clap. The, you know, clap, clap. You're awake now. Um, and I don't remember what I was dreaming about or what was going on. But I, uh, I was awoken from my sleep by this clap, which seemed to be external. And just stood, bolted straight up, you know, straight upright in my bed. And got out of bed, started walking around, kind of contemplating, and it's as if something had snapped uh, deep within me. I, and suddenly I realized that, um, well, two things. One, that I'd been reading about all this stuff and had all these bizarre experiences for years, but I still hadn't, I wasn't accepting them. There was this level of doubt. I was still arguing with the reality of these experiences. And suddenly that argument was over. Um, I actually recorded an album once, and I think it was based on something I read in Grant Hancock's uh, Supernatural, which was submission to a higher uh, order of knowing. And at that point, I had submitted, you know, clap, clap, wake up. Um, it's not a struggle anymore. Uh, it, it was a level of submission, a level of acceptance, understanding that even though... I had been so fascinated with stuff. I still wasn't taking it seriously. And more to the point, I wasn't behaving as if this stuff was real. Yeah, uh, or, or to put it in a basic circumstance. Okay, so the reality of te telepathy is psych psychologically proven. You know, we've, we've proven this scientifically. Even despite that, there's still this level of doubt in your mind that you're not trying to use your knowledge of that reality to your benefit. Um... You know, you know that these things are real, and you should be using these things, uh, using your knowledge, which you know uh, most other people don't possess, possess or are going to outright ignore. And you should be using these things to your own benefit. And I kind of knew immediately that I had to start uh, pursuing magic. It was just, it was like, yeah, okay, now I'm a quote unquote magician, and. And it's weird, because I didn't see that coming. I didn't see myself having this desire to be, even though I've had all these bizarre experiences, this, this desire to try and tap in and manipulate reality in your favor, and, um, and to be a mystic or a sorcerer or something like that. Like, I didn't think that, I never for some reason saw my life taking that trajectory. trajectory. And yet in that moment, like, bam, clap, clap, wake up. Yeah, okay. Now I'm a musician. I'm, I mean, I'm a magician. I'm a sorcerer. I'm going to start testing these theories. Like, does magic work? What kind of effects does it have on your psychology and your uh, reality tunnel? Tunnel as how can you transform your reality tunnel? As Robert Anton Wilson um, would talk about it, and uh, my experiences so far that have been that it's uh, transformed it beyond recognition to the point that, wow, I mean, my life now is just so strange, and my inner world is so vibrant and odd, uh, you know, it's like the strangeness just has begun stalking me, and I guess I could get more into that um, later, um, but uh, anyways, I think I'll wrap this up. 
Ha ha, yes, Paratopia. Remember last week when I was begging for your loose change so that I may go on a little journey to visit with the Lakota elders in South Dakota? Remember that? Hmm, last week? Yes, yes. Well, I'm back with the begging bowl in hand once again. Uh, I've raised $168 of my projected $500. So I, I thank everybody very much. I mean, that's that's 160 what, 8 and change, almost 169 in no time. Um, but... The actual time of me being able to go on this little journey is coming up. So I would like to raise the rest of it this week. If this is something that interests you, giving me your money and receiving absolutely nothing in return, then please uh, send it via the PayPal to kinesianhouse at yahoo.com. That is K-Y-N-E-G-I-O-N house at yahoo.com. Kinesianhouse, all one word. Uh, or if you prefer to send a check by mail or something along those lines, email me at paratopiapodcast at gmail.com and we'll work something out for you to give me your money for absolutely nothing in return. Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to work with you on this. That, that's, that's how good I am. Uh, so once again, thank you everyone who's donated thus far. If anyone would like to donate more, um, I need more. Or else I can't go on this journey that um, that you will not go on either way. So really, just give me your money. That's that's what I'm saying. Thank you, and good night. If you record audio for any purpose, chances are you want it to be heard. You want to attract the largest audience possible who can hear your message. That's where we come in. We're CyberEars.com, a revolutionary Internet service that will host your audio files and help you promote and track its popularity. Considering hosting a podcast to the world, we have all the automated tools to make the process as simple and easy as it can be. No technical mumbo-jumbo to work out. CyberEars.com does all the work for you. You record it. We take care of the rest. So don't delay. Go to CyberEars.com today and register for a free trial account. Upload your audio files and get heard. With CyberEars.com, it's your audio on your terms. So the Jeff. Hi, Chair. John Galanders, eh? John's a... uh... Interesting dude. Yes. A little more uh, dream material than than I normally uh, would like on a show, but but okay. No, I mean, you know. I mean, you have issues. I have no answers. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I do have issues, Jeff. In fact, I wrote a couple down. Uh, and here's what he wrote. Uh, John thinks it's scientific to have an experience, but is the experience repeatable? And I think that that's true. A lot of people say, you know, well, we're we're experimenting with drugs or magic or whatever it is, and they equate that with with science. But then, so then I get to thinking about science and like, well, no, science is actually something has to be repeatable. Are these things repeatable experiences? They hmm. may produce repeatable settings and repeatable characters, but are they the actual? Things going on uh, repeated? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I mean, as far as magical practices goes, I mean, let's, let, let's just look at it from that 
point. Um, I mean, you do a incantation, you do a sigil, whatever. Um, Your favorite new word. I love that word. Um, I mean, with something like that, I mean, for me, it's based upon the will of intent, um, the focus of intent, focus of desire, and trying to manifest that out of thin air. Um, can you do that? If you believe you can do it, I believe, yeah, it can be done. But the question is, putting that under the microscope, how does that then affect the outcome of you doing it on your own for your own desires? I don't know. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's been studies done on that somewhere, but... Again, I I <laughs> hate to keep bringing up the evil T word to everyone, but um, I mean, is there a is there a, a, a trickster esque type of thing going on there that is not going to reveal itself as a hardcore science or too hardcore science based on you know this desire to put a lasso around its neck and drag it out into the light? I don't think it works that way. Um, and I'm sure to a skeptic that sounds like a complete cop out. I don't know that that's true or untrue. I'm just saying, you know, if you're talking about someone who has the, it's discipline. I mean, it it really does have to be a discipline in uh, in a belief system or in you know the will of knowing that you can manifest what you want or a situation you want or a life change you want just by doing sigil magic or by doing a. a uh, spells or whatever. I mean, whatever your chosen uh, field of an occult, quote unquote, practice, whatever that may mean. I don't know. I I kind of look at them all relatively the same because they're all basically going through a lot of. Uh, well, I mean, look at it this way: you talk about uh, let's look at something like a. a a hoodoo religion where you're, you're going to make a, a money bag, a grigri bag, as they call them, um, in New Orleans. And, you know, you need a buckeye and you need a lodestone and you need money drawing powder and you need all these things that you have to gather together and you put them in this bag and you uh, put your hands over it and you focus the intent of what you want this thing to do for you. And then basically you let it go. Uh, you don't think about it. You put it in your pocket. And you carry it around with you. I have to wonder, I mean, do, do we really believe here that the lodestone and the money-drawing oil and the money-drawing powder and the buckeye, and do we honestly believe that that has any real meaning other than having to gather the items to perform a magical ritual then kind of solidifies in your mind that this works, this is going to work, I have no doubt this is going to work because I'm following the directions of, of whatever the teacher is or wh- wherever the, the custom came from. I think it's more the effort of gathering gathering these things together to put into a red flannel bag to carry around with you. It's more that action of this is how far I'll go to attain my goal. And so therefore when you place will upon that and you work, the same with doing a sigil, you're you're writing out a, a phrase or a desire you want and you're constantly reducing it down to its simplest shapes and you're making it into this symbol – Again, you're going through a process of maybe a subconscious process of retraining your mind to think this is going to happen, not I want this to happen. Can you put that under a scope? I don't know. Well, um, I, I would think that there's another 
mechanism involved there because who cares what your mind puts together? It's still got to manifest it in the real world. So mm-hmm. there must be a connection between what your mind is in, is deeply focused and in intending to do, focused on and intending to do, and it must draw to it something out in the ether. You know, there must be there, there's that connection that's missing. Well, yeah, there's there's something out there that has to answer that. That I mean, you know, and that might be something that science can get to. I, I well, know. I mean, I think. Uh, well, I think it's it's in in the most rudimentary way. I say this that they're they're somewhat getting to that idea that that thoughts are things. Thoughts are you know, if you think of of a thought as a tangible object, as a a real thing that can that that leaves you and goes out into the ether, as you say. You know, is is that something that can, that can be somehow gauged or something like? That? I mean, this is certainly where you know uh, we all remember the secret from way back. I mean, that's that's how they kind of illustrated like the focus of intent was these particle waves coming out off of everyone's heads from the thoughts that they're thinking, and that's something that that uh, my, my old research partner Lee he used to talk about that all the time. He's like, you know, the sooner you realize that thoughts are things or thoughts become things uh, or situations or changes or whatever, you know, the, 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 the more you realize that, you, you know, there is this, there, there is this process that kind of like threads its way through magical practices and, uh, and, and some of these new agey, airy-fairy, uh, you know, narratives that you can lay over top your life that will make everything better. I mean, I, I genuinely believe that stuff does work. How it works, I have no idea. Um, but certainly, um, you know, some of these later uh, examples of that, I mean, you know, what the belief and the secret and all the I mean, these are all dealing with the same sort of thing. It's training your mind to think differently in order to evoke the law of attraction if you're into that sort of thing. Well, I also, now, uh, now that we're talking about this, I wonder if there's not a meta intention that is in the culture. So you've got mm. your personal intention, but it's sort of over, well, it's molded by probably primarily, but then maybe it's overridden by even, uh, the cultural intent. So that, I mean, doesn't it just seem to you that, that what we're doing with magic and dream interpretation and that sort of thing is sort of picking from the junkyard of things we don't quite understand, um, but some of them kind of work, uh, so we apply them to ourselves and what is the Western self? It's it's all of that me 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 selfishness that we always talk about, right? Right. So we're you know it's no surprise then that the things that we're attracted to are things that tell us we can attract things to us: fame, fortune, right. money, whatever it is, women, men, uh, whatever it is. But in terms of looking at this stuff, like I was thinking more specifically about dreams. You know, to to look at anything in there in a scientific way or to use dreams as a tool and to say, I know what I'm doing. It's not in our culture to know what you're doing. So you don't know what you're doing. And I, and I was thinking that indigenous people around the world, um, do use dream time as a tool. So they, in a way, I mean, they're the scientists, right? But, uh, they wouldn't call themselves that it's just ingrained in what they naturally do. They know how to use these things. They know how to do a shamanic journey. They know how to, you know, do magic and all this. I mean, it's all, it's with them all the time. It's not something that they're just toying with the pieces of. And so I wonder, getting back to what Teokasin is saying about coming from the heart, not the mind, um, or the brain, 
if you don't have the same egoic sense of self that that I, you and I do, then that's one level of dreaming that's not going to manifest for you. It's, it's one level of bullshit, right? That's not going to be in a dream is the subjective, like, you need to learn some personal thing about yourself right. to, to be a more whole person. Um, so I don't know. I just, I feel like there are all of these nuanced little things in there that, that is, it's just more sort of Western arrogance in disguise to say, we're discovering this stuff and we're going to be able to make a science out of it. It's not, it's not about taking it outside of yourself and, and looking at it and trying to apply it to yourself. It's something that's, you know, either brought up in you or not, you know, mm. and, and sort of what we're doing is, is one, a bastardization, <laughs> uh, and two, um, personal. It's not, it's not scientific, but does that matter? You know, is ultimately the answer, like for John, does he really care if he's doing something scientific? No, he only cares how he feels about it, right? He only cares if it works for him and if, and if it makes sense to him and if it makes sense out of things in life to him, right? Well, right. Did I, I say mean, Jeff or John? I mean, well, you, well, John, yeah. Either of you. Everybody knows by now. I, I'm Jeff. I'm that guy. That's right. Um, well, yeah. I, I mean, I just said makes sense, but it, it, it does. I mean, it, I mean, for the person that it's happening to, or that that has the experience, it's the experience. I mean, this is that's what's important to the individual, the tailor-made individual experience. And uh, you know, it, it it is somewhat bothersome to see. You know what, what? At least what we would call our society does to something like that, which is to do what it does with every other experience out there, which is to turn it into some kind of ideology, <laughs> you know, and try to try to say we're we're breaking new ground here. We're trying, we're, you know, we we we're trying to understand this, and it's all going to be applied through this filter of science or or through whatever filter you want to throw it through. But I I question. I mean, you say uh, indigenous people can be more in touch with this sort of thing. My question would be. Can we not learn this? Is this not a learned thing? I mean, do you have to be brought up your whole life to recognize dreams? Um, I mean, I mean, from the time we were kids, we've been told dreams don't mean anything. That's the way of your mind getting rid of data and inf- information that you don't need. I mean, this is what doctors and scientists have told us, right, about dreams. Mm-hmm. And we all know that DMT plays a big part in dreams and the weirdness that happens in those. I'm sure. You, I mean, I think it's like anything else. It's like there are things that you can learn about them. There yeah. are things that you can learn to use and to utilize, but it's going to be limited because you're not raised um, with the same awareness of what things mean, of why things are important, mm-hmm. what those exact proportions are. You know, mm-hmm. I think all of that is a lifetime of knowing. I don't think that's something you you pick up in a class. No, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, so much of it. I mean, I don't know how we could. I don't know how you could qualify most of it. I mean, for me, it, it would almost fall under that category of like I think you wrote to me, like a hypnosis. You know, it's kind of that same. Like we don't know what to do with it. We don't know what parts of it to throw away and what parts to keep. And you know, if you if you are raised up to to try and dissect these and try to learn from them and and all of that. Uh, again, it's experience. So, does that one experience from one culture make it more right or less right than the other? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't. Well, just think about the difference in. I mean, who's the authority? Is what I'm saying. Well, I mean, the, the, you know, here's the thing. That, that's our term, right? Uh, once again, this gets into the real minute, fine points here of language, uh, which are everything. You know, so 
you know, if you've got something like hypnosis or dream interpretation or whatever, um, we set it up from amateur to master, right? So there are these degrees of learning, but if you just grow up in the culture, it's not that there's like that whole system, that whole hierarchy of, of learning doesn't exist. You know what I mean? So like on its face, like the way that you go from A to B to C in, in our culture might not even apply to this. It's just something that you go through. Yeah, <laughs> like I, yeah, I, get, I can see it. I mean, you're when you're raised around it, that's, you know, and you're raised, to, you know, from the very get-go to recognize something, you know, profound in dreams or whatever scape that you're, that you're in. I, I, can, I can see that. And it might uh, not even be, I mean, here's another thing to think about. It might not even be that being raised in a culture with all that stuff, uh, means that you learn it. It might mean that you just don't learn what we learn. Right. So, so that the, it, that it comes to you instinctively almost. Mm-hmm. It, it's sort of the freedom to be allowed to figure this stuff out or let it happen naturally on its own within you. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it all takes its all proper proportion when you don't get in the way, when your society isn't trying to like set you up on a, a tier from amateur right. to, you know, expert. Because hmm. um, I almost think the tier gets in the way of a lot of things, doesn't it? Um, because sure. once you have a place, you know your place. And then that's how you perceive yourself, and that's how you perceive how good you're going to be at something. It's also how you perceive who the experts are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I don't know. I don't have an answer. I'm just, these are just things to think about, you know? Yeah. But I definitely think that, you know, when it comes to dreams, and you talk about lucid dreaming, and you talk about just normal dreaming, and things that feel more real than real inside of a dream. Well, but you've still got the problem of primarily dreams are about you. Um, Now, so it's kind of hard to say what's an outside communication. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. Mm. I'm just saying there's a lot more filter uh, for something like that to go through. And so I don't, I don't think it's very cut and dry. I don't think it's as cut and dry as we want to think it is, even if it feels that way. Yeah, you know, as you're talking, I'm just thinking about we're, we're talking about how science can kind of apply some kind of measurement to this. I mean, we've we you and I both have talked about these dreams that you have that that are basically your typical weirdo dream or scenario dream or story dream, and and then something within it happens that you can clearly differentiate. Like, okay, this is not this is not normal. This is. You get that definite impression that something is inserting itself into your dreamscape, and it's it's not you, and and something happens within that dream, or someone approaches you within that dream, and it's almost like, it's almost like you have a dream mind, and your dream mind kind of plays along with this thing as if it were real, and it can't really tell the difference. There's almost a I mean, for me at least, there's almost a feeling in the dreamscape of I'm following a, a script of some sort. Like this is a you know this is this is kind of how it goes. And I I almost feel if I try to sense myself within a dream, I almost feel like that drugged feeling of I'm just going through the motions of whatever this dream may lay out. Um, I've rarely had lucid dreams, so I I'm sort of familiar with that, but not a whole lot. I always wake myself up, but when you're talking about something happening where, and I know these have been even rare with us, uh, where you've got this injection of something else, 
I would have to wonder if you're hooked up to you know whatever kind of scan they can do to you while you're sleeping, measuring your every aspect of your your brain waves and all that. I have to wonder what do brain waves look like at regular dream, and then when this insertion type event happens within a dream that you don't feel is internal anymore, what would the brain waves look like at that point? Would there be a definitive difference? Would there be a definitive change in that? And of course, the plug in that is going to be how rare is it that you have those kind of dreams? It's pretty damn rare, and you'd probably have to um, I mean, you'd have to have just hundreds upon hundreds of hours of somebody like you, me, or any number of people out there who talk about that sort of thing on the table, hooked up at any given night to try and catch one. But, but you know what I mean. There's a definite, there's yeah. like a definite change in the dream feel, and all of a sudden, it you're kind of snapped out of that dream mind in a way, and you're acutely aware that something's not right, and that something's there that's not your dream. And uh, Yeah, the problem is I've had that happen several times, mm-hmm. um, but I'm 36 years old, so that would be, <laughs> that'd be a long stretch on the, on the science. Right, table. exactly, exactly. But I don't know, just you would sure as hell think that that would have some kind of show up in, a, in, in some kind of uh, you know, brain scan, brainwave activity. There's got to be something going on there. I liked um, – he talked about um, sleep paralysis as a gateway to the imaginal realm and the out-of-body experience and, and, and all that. I, I find that interesting, just that addressing sleep paralysis as something other than you know what the skeptics use it for. Mm-hmm. If that's true, I, I think – you know, maybe he should write to Persinger about that or one of those guys, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think Persinger is somebody we ought to try to get a hold of. And I, I have written uh, him, but uh, we haven't heard back. So maybe it's time to send him another letter. I don't know. Do you do you hold sway with any of that? I mean, you've had some, some bouts of, like, the sleep paralysis thing before, haven't you? That No, I've never had sleep paralysis. No, I have. Um, I mean, I definitely have, and I don't um, – I, I, I certainly, I mean, my, my first thought is, you know, when I wake up and I can't move, you know, it's a, it's a completely different feeling from waking up and not being able to move just your legs and then seeing something walking around the room and, you know, all that kind of experience. It's, it's decidedly different to that. But my first thought is something's wrong with me. I've had a stroke or I've <laughs> something, I don't know what, but I immediately freak myself out of it. Um, uh, I don't know, to lay there, I don't know how you could use it as a gateway to anything because it's so inherently terrifying when it happens because you don't know what's going on with you. I, I don't know. I mean, and what state is that? That's an awake state with the brain while the body's asleep. So I, I don't know. I don't know how that would work, really. Okay. Well, moving along here, Jeff, unless you have anything else you'd like to. Add. No, good. So... We're recording this on uh, Thursday the 8th, the night before the show will actually air, and um, I'm sitting in my little chair here, and you've seen the light of my living room through my cam. I mean, it's not... Right. There's not a lot of room. It's like I've got this reclining chair, and then my feet <laughs> when I'm reclined, uh, and then my computer desk. So that that's what we're talking about for space here. And I'm reading a book and uh, facing the computer, and 
from my left peripheral vision, it's as if like a white sheet of paper is creeping up on me from from behind and to the left. I just see like this white blankness, like peering around the you know my shoulder at me or something through my peripheral, and I look over and there's nothing there, and I, I think, okay, my eyes are just playing tricks on me or whatever. It's the ghost of the book you're supposed to write. Well, I, so <laughs> I, I, no, I'm having a complete like Jeff experience. Like I, I, I continue reading the book. And in, right in front of me, and I mean, like, you know, where my feet are, from mm-hmm. my head, in a reclining chair right in front of me, in the air are these two humps. <laughs> oh, well, there you are. I don't know if they're connected. They look, They didn't look smooth. They looked, I mean, it would be like if a Rorschach test just sort of, like, started bobbing um. by, almost like two seahorses or something, sort of like bobbing up and down in the air, like mm-hmm. moving like that, like, like as if yeah. they're floating on the ocean. Static, static in uh, in texture or or in material looks. No, I, mean, I well, I mean, it, for it's in, so it's in peripheral. Like I'm reading my book and it's over the top of my book. I'm seeing this. Okay. And so I see this and it's it's really taking its time. And I'm like, is that? So I'm thinking giant insect at this point. So I look up. I <laughs> stop reading my book and I look up, and I'm still watching. It's still there. I'm watching this thing float and then just disappear. It just disappears. Right. Direct, direct sight. So you laid yeah, eyes right sight. on. And it yeah. looked. I mean, when I say seahorse, I mean it looked like like that. It didn't look like smooth. It looked like it had you know notches in it, that sort of thing, the, the surface of it. Hmm. But so I don't know what that was. But I. I well, you know, I immediately think fractal when you say that. I mean. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like a fractal. But I, so here's what's funny. You know, on our message board, we're. We're having this good little discussion about, you know, what? why don't we ever say to ghosts, you know, hey, what's it like being dead? All that sort of stuff. Why don't we ever say to aliens, hey, tell us about time travel and inner space travel. It's always something stupid. Uh-huh. So what is my, you know, and this is me making this this point to everybody on the message board. So what is my initial reaction to seeing, I don't know, a, an indescribable shape <laughs> go through the air? I start talking to it and I'm like... Is that, you know, is there, is there, is that someone there? You know, I'm doing the streamer. Is that someone right, there? Right, right. Like, like, I see you, and then I say, can we be friends? <laughs> <laughs> and what'd you get? Nothing. No, I, I, I got nothing. Oh, okay. But I just thought it was funny that, like, like, even me, even after that little speech, I'm still asking stupid fucking questions. It's like, immediately puts you in, like, dumb kid mode or, like, Please yeah. don't be evil and eat me mode. But meanwhile, what did I see? All I saw were these, you know, two or perhaps a cleft one uh, mm. sort of indescribable shape floating in the air. Yeah. Well. Um, and, 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 and a white blankness, like, <laughs> creeping up on me. <laughs> what well, was the was the uh, the white blankness? Was it, it was it a square? I mean, was it an angled? Yeah, edge? it looked like. I mean, it looked like a square. It, it, was it know. was it moving at all, or was it just uh, a static angle, white? Well, I couldn't tell. I don't know. Because I mean, it felt like it was. It felt like it moved up on me, but but not in a rotating been, it sense. Just I been mean, that it just appeared, and I noticed it. You know what I mean? Okay, but not in a rotating sense. It wasn't like it was on a pinwheel or anything no. like that coming. Up. I mean, you know where I'm going with this? Yeah. No, it, it seemed flat. Okay. Well, I mean, as far as the humps in the air goes, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's a trip. 
and again, I go back to, to my old research partner who I've been, you know, I, I, I think I said some shows ago that I'd reconnected with him and we've been talking every, pretty much every Friday and sometimes during the week. And, uh, I think I'm going to ask him if he would come on and talk about just the, that particular facet of, of, and, and that is what he told me was, you know, the next time you see him is you know, think something at him or say something at them and, and see what happens. And something did happen. Uh, and he actually came over one night and we had like a four hour conversation with these things. So, um, <laughs> as, re- as retarded as that sounds, we talked to humps in the air and it was, um, it was pretty much, I mean, that's pretty much where the answer on the message board when you were talking about, uh, that sort of thing. Like, what do you, what do you say when you, you know, why is everybody saying these stupid questions and why are we never not getting the answers? Like, what are you, where are you? Um, do you see me? Do you perceive this? You know, what year is it? Those kind of questions. And the reason that I replied in the way I did, which was, you know, you don't really get any valuable information anyway. Uh, that's been my experience at least, you know, to ask a question, I don't know, at a fairly arm's length thing. I mean, these things, these humps in the air or whatever we want to call them are not evil looking monsters and, 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 and freaky little, Silly putty man. I mean, they're not. It's it's very. It's arm's length. It's very distant. It's very. It's it's somewhat palatable to a degree. Um, yeah, I thought would have thought it was just giant bugs or something if it had landed or swooped yeah. around and not just dissolved. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's fairly arm's length. I mean, you you can contain yourself enough to ask a question. And when I, I mean, I can tell you that when I got that, I mean, it was. Um, it was essentially my research partner asking or thinking questions, and I'm just answering by what I hear in my head, um, which seems to be coming from the corner of the room. I mean, that's predominantly where I saw them uh, was the corner of the room. And then that feeds into, was it Brad who was on our message board talking about the good and evil part of things? I mean, here's yeah. one for Brad. You know, what's the old story about corners, demons lurk in corners? So uh, I'll feed that uh, that little part of the discussion, but um, and and I have to say that you know Lee was fairly surprised at what I said to him, and and in particular, I remember one thing was, you know, we, when I sat down there and I said, I you know, we were just watching TV, and I said, I see one, I see it in the corner right now, and he's like, well, tell him I said hello, and so I thought hello, and then what I got back was. Hello and a name, uh, and I said hello and a name to my research partner, and he turned white as a sheet, and he's like, "You only know the name that I use, which is my middle name. You don't know my first name. You've never known my first name because I've never told you my first name." And he said, "But what the name you just said was my real first name, and I didn't know that." And so, you know, that immediately got him super interested. He's like, "Okay, let's talk about this, that, and the other," and the rest of the night were pertinent, well thought out questions, which I answered. Some of him he some of them he said aloud and some of them he didn't. But it was always the same sort of answer. It was very cryptic. It was I don't know, like uh, sometimes sardonic humor, sometimes it was but nothing of real value, nothing of substance. And I think even if you could contain yourself enough to ask the right questions at the right times, which would be in to me, a ridiculously hard thing to do. I still think that would be your answer, would be nonsensical questions. 
you know, to me, that's, that's, I don't don't think I explained it well. I mean, I'm for as long winded as I am on those forums. I certainly, people don't know what the fuck I'm saying. Uh, (laughs) but I mean, that, that wasn't really my, my point. I mean, I thought that that was, it's strange that we ask those questions and and, Uh that the questions we ask and not the other ones. But really my point is why is it that, that that's never brought up even by skeptics. Like nobody ever, nobody ever says, Jeff, you're a thoughtful person. Mm-hmm. If you're really seeing aliens, why don't you ask them about time travel or, or anything? Oh, like, I've, I've had, yeah. Well, I've had skeptics ask me that for sure. Yeah. They have? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, when I was on the Paracast one night, I mean, I was on with Don Ecker and, you know, not to bring up a sore subject or anything, but <laughs> it's me, Don Ecker. And when I talked about, hey, you know, the guys that 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 showed up at at my shop that night, who I believe were there to threaten me over um, a case I was working on, and you know, and they followed me home, and they were sitting right across from the condo where I lived, and they were in a parking lot directly across the street for a decent amount of time, not hours by any stretch, but um, you know, a, a good, I would. I don't know, minutes, it was minutes, and my wife and I were looking at them through the window, and, and his answer to me was, well, I bet you didn't call the police either, did you? And I remember just biting my fucking tongue at the time and saying, yeah, I no, you didn't I didn't. call the police, did you? Right, right. Yeah. So it was kind of like that same kind of, you know, and I know he's not particularly like a skeptic when it comes to this stuff, but you know, it was almost that skeptic Ben, like, well, you had this experience, but you didn't really do anything about it, did you? You know, my answer was, no, I didn't call the police because what the fuck am I going to tell the police? <laughs> they Why haven't done you it. Call me, Don Ecker. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm see- I see, I've, I see, I've lit a fuse here. Sorry. Um, it's so rare that I get to use that impression. <laughs> and so it should be. Um, but I mean, you know, uh, I, yeah, I've had, I've had people ask me that before. I mean, my uh, answer well, why is. Why did you just say that on the forum? Then well, I because I didn't up. understand that. I, I obviously didn't understand what you were what you were saying. But I mean, that was part it, of it. And then the other part, because <laughs> it's it's three tiered, uh, was I mean, what do you think about just the fact that when you have a hypothetical, like yeah, if I ever met an alien, I'd you know ask him about, hey, how do you get to Mars? Right. You've got all those things as a hypothetical. Like, what are your top three things that you would ask say to Jesus if you met him? But then when you actually meet Jesus, you're like, please love me. Or when you actually do meet an alien, you're like, yeah, you know. Uh, or you, you just, you know, say something silly and, and have a silly discussion. Or they, they, they ask you to have pancakes or whatever. And right. It's like, uh, I, I don't know. Like, at what point did that become okay with you? Where you were still like, I'm, I'm having nonsensical interactions with what should be a higher intelligence that back when I was innocent... I thought I'd be having higher discussions, you know, intelligent <laughs> discussions with, right. and that ain't happening. Right. Like, what, at what point did that become, like, okay with us and, and sort of okay, you know, even with the skeptics, even if they are asking you, I mean, it's not really a pressed point that, that I'm hearing anyway. I mean, I don't hear anyone, uh, any of these skeptics going on Larry King and, and talking about just the nonsensical interactions that are happening. It's always about, like, whether aliens could actually be coming here Right. Whether people are hallucinating, you know that sort of thing. Oh yeah, yeah, that's always the focus, sure. So for you personally, like, what did has that even crossed your mind? Like, the the fact that you're having nonsensical interactions, or even the things that you think. I mean, have you thought about the things that you think 
are your own rational volition. Like, like you have this guy with the cape right. who, who sits down and, and has this starts having a deep chat with you and you react to it. And now you aren't in communication with him. Uh, I mean, just to look at that, like as an objective observer, I, I think to myself, are you fucking high? Like, why are you not running back to this guy being like, yes, let's have that discussion. <laughs> but to you, it's like completely normal not to do that in this, you know, unprecedented situation in all of human history. You're willing to shrug it off and be like, eh, I got to go do barbecue. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it's not quite that simple. I think I've done a pretty good job of trying to paint visual pictures for people in discussions of things that have happened to me. And and that's what I've strived more than anything. I mean, more than even doing the podcast or anything. I, I've always tried to describe it, it so that they can close their eyes and paint a visual picture. But even still, I mean, again, here you want to talk about language? Here's language and how it plays into this. We can talk about this shit all fucking night long. But it's an entirely different matter when it's in front of you. And I'll say this again and again and again until it finally gets through to people that it is a completely different me that sits in the presence of something that I don't know what it's about. But it's a completely different mentality for me. It's a completely – it's not the rational thinking me. That's not that's – no, that guy is gone. But it's uh, a you that can get scared just like you. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. So what are the boundaries of this me? What, I mean, we're talking about well, I mean, being in an altered state of consciousness. Right. What's the difference? What would you say the difference is? Does it feel different? Yeah. I mean, it feels um, – uh, and, and everybody's going to have to excuse me if, if I already talked about – I mean, I, I know I talked to Jeremy at length about an, an experience that I had. And I was, you know, I was laying in bed and was woken up and uh, felt like I was – I don't know kind of drifting out of me or, or sinking back down in the bed, like literally falling through a hole uh, somehow. And, and me was slipping away from the body. And, um, and this happened a lot. I heard sounds and, and all sorts of weirdness. But, um, you know, at one point I gained, I, I had, a, I, I call it like it's a vanism to me because pictures of people started flashing in my head and the overarching, um, thought or epiphany like slam me in the face that we are all one like there's no sense of being mad at this person because this happened because it doesn't matter you're just mad at another facet of yourself when you're mad at someone else now to say that that sounds so trite and it sounds so you know like whatever uh, it doesn't make sense to the me that I'm talking through right now but at that point in time laying there face down on a pillow with my eyes shut and seeing these these all of these faces you know slamming in and out of my and in and out of my my mind's eye this was a huge epiphany and when i felt that something started to dislodge physically i mean i physically felt something dislodge the me that's inside this meat bag was pushing back and i didn't like it i didn't i mean i thought this is what it means to die. This is what this feels like, you know, and I don't want to die. I'm, I'm good here. You know, I want to, but that's, that's the thought that came in. So I, I got this huge epiphany and you asked me this question, which was a brilliant question was what felt more like you, the one describing this experience to me 
or the guy who had the the epiphany and went, oh my god, that's it, that's it. And I, I mean, even to call it an epiphany is a joke. It's like the world just like something cracks and the world like lights up and you know it, it's you know I equated it I think in a conversation to you like a math problem that you can't figure out and the teacher shows you that one little move that decimal point one one space to the left and then oh you go oh that's it well it was like that times a million and you said what's more like you and I said that is more like the real me and so to differentiate that from what it is now I have to admit that even the me that talks about these experiences is still wearing a mask, a presentation that you present to other people. The guy laying in the bed having this epiphany had no mask on. So if you ask me what's the difference between it, there's a nakedness to it that um, is, 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 I don't know, in a way, is kind of liberation feeling. It's got that feel to it, but at the same time, it's very naked feeling. It's very exposed feeling. Um, and that gives way to a certain amount of apprehension and fear. And then when something encroaches upon that and you can't put on the mask that you wear for the world and be that guy that I'm talking through now... <laughs> You've got to deal with something on the, the most raw sense of levels, and I think that that is where you know you become the blithering idiot when it comes to a communication or or anything like that. Those, like you said before, the rational mind, the rational mind just doesn't work, and it's the same thing. I mean, this goes right down to someone standing in a field with their wife or their kid, and they're you know maybe they're fishing, and a flying saucer floats over. And the guy's got a camera in his back pocket, but he doesn't take a picture because he's just standing there like, it's all real. It's all real, and it's right here, and it's right in front of me. And you just look, and you just stand there like a moron. And then after it's over, somebody goes, well, you had a camera. Why didn't you take a picture? Then there's the disbelief, and then there's your attempt to try to you know, get people to believe that this happened to you. Yeah, This is pretty much what you outlined on the board. Your rational mind is not at work. My rational mind, at least, is not at work enough to say, okay, now this, this, and this. Now, when you're talking about this latest wrinkle for me in that it's changed and, and this, this man you know, in a black shroud of some sort, uh, that's a bit different. I do still have a certain amount of rational mind in that I... I can <laughs> how much do I want to say? I can still think I can think, but the problem is is that this man doesn't buy anything I say if that makes any sense at all. I mean Jeremy knows what I'm talking about, but is anybody else that's the i can't you cannot put on the mask that you wear for the world like you go to work. And you deal differently with people at work than you do with your wife. I mean, that's a given, right? So you're wearing a mask for your wife and you're wearing a mask for work. It's that kind of thing, except he doesn't. I mean, it's like that mask is like glass to him. That means that nothing. That mask is everything. See, I just want to be clear that, that what you just did was an analogy. Because I think when people think about a mask, that's that analogy they think is exactly what you mean. 
Mm-hmm. But you're talking about the whole thing. The whole thing that you think is you is the mask. It's the mask, and that's correct? The thing that this guy sees through. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, when 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 you're, and I think that even about, you know, when people talk about aliens, I mean, by whatever guise that it comes in, um, and I like I've I've told you the same thing. I don't know that I even buy the the mail and the shroud thing. I don't even know that I buy that as a as a, you know, it's a, like an avatar type thing, you know, it, it could be anything. But um, that, whatever it is, you cannot, you cannot wear a mask in front of. And if you try, it just sits there and shakes its head at you like, what are you kidding me? You know, do you know who you're talking to? I mean, it's that kind of, it's almost that kind of attitude at times. Um, because questions are asked of you and, and you try to, and, the, and these were personal to me. I mean, this had nothing to do with anything about flying saucers or what this is all about. Nothing like that. It had more to do with me and my feelings about certain people in my life. And and why did you react? Why do you react this way? Well, because this. And this man just shook his head and he goes, "That's not it. You know what this is." And then it's like you just feel this knot welling up in your chest and going up into your throat, and you're like. And you throw it out, and it's a completely naked statement. And it's in and in parts of it, you feel, I guess, the mask that you wear then feels ashamed to have said it. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. The mask that you wear then feels shame that you feel the way you do. But what you feel and how you react to certain situations is the real you. That's the person you hide from everyone else. Um, and so I, I think that at least for me in describing some of this stuff, I think I've put myself out there enough that I've tried to, to drop that mask of trying to be like the cool, tough guy as much as I can, as much as I'm comfortable with doing with a mass audience, you know, I mean, that's not easy to do. Well, it's um, also deeper than that. I mean, would you say it's fair to say that you and I and everybody else on the planet, <laughs> at least in the West, uh, and probably everybody to some extent, um, created this mask by, I mean, the unconscious and conscious divide of the personal mind is self-created. Like, all the stuff that's unconscious, um, I think, was buried by us, so we know, so I think the point of him saying, you know what this is, is saying, go back to the point where you buried this. You know what you're through guilt and shame and whatever else, the reason that all of, you know, these things, these unconscious things that predict you became unconscious um, is because you made them that. So hmm. you do know you're, you are in control of, of that unconscious shit. Well, I think you are. I mean, that's what therapy is, right? It's trying to figure out what the unravel the unconscious and then it bubbles to the surface and then you have right. epiphany and you go, Oh my God, that's why I'm a dick. <laughs> and then you're not a dick anymore, you know, or well, or you're more of a dick because now you're you know what you're doing and you're manipulative. Well, I mean, I'll 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 take the chance to say this and say that you know one of the things that he said was that you know, um, I, and I think it came at a point where I was kind of fighting another answer to another kind of question or another ponderance, and he seemed to show um, sadness or. Um, I don't know. Well, was it sadness or was it just kind of like 
uh, uh, there was a sorrowful look about it and feel about it that came when he said, you are all such products of your environment in every way. I mean, in every way. You know, I think all of this stuff came up when, uh, you know, right down to the very get-go with the have and the have-nots, male-dominated rule, war, all of these things, I think, helped shape and helped to bury those parts of us that 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 doesn't jive with. I mean, you know, everybody everybody is a product of their lives, their experiences. The culmination of that molds you into, molds that mask, I think. And that, so that was one of the things that was said was, you know, you're all such products of your environment in every way. And I, I don't even remember what I said, but uh, I mean, I think it was, I was, again, long-winded as usual, but I said something to the effect of, you know, well, what other way is there to be? I mean, you can't be this singular person out there uh, who's completely naked in front of the world. There has to be some divide between the personal and the mass. And, I, well, the, I guess the ultimate answer to that question is why not? <laughs> what, have you, what have you got to lose? I mean, but, you know, then you go back to Idiocracy, our favorite film. Well, what was it, his answer? Why not? What have you got to really to lose? Oh, I mean, see. you've got – what have you got to lose? And to a degree, I guess that's right. But I mean, at that point, you're – again, back to society. You're back to being an outsider. You're back to being – wow, he's really open with his feelings, isn't he? I mean, he's, you're looked upon as one of those people. So again, you become one of those people who can't relate to 99.9% of people out there. Um, but would you care? Like, if you were your real you... I well, mean, no, you wouldn't, because, no, you wouldn't care. Yeah, no. I mean, my other question to you was, why do you want to go to the one that's not the real you? Like, what is your what is it about that guy that you don't want to kill off? Well, I mean, just like anything else, it's a matter of comfort, right? I mean, that's it. I mean, that's the easy it's answer. it's a matter of per- perceive... It, it, it's the misperception, I think, that you... Maybe, that, that you won't be comfortable but then this gets into well, mm-hmm. would you care? Like once it happened, if there were some sort of metamorphosis, right, you'd be more comfortable. You just don't know it right now because you're comfortable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, we're all safe in what we know, and this is this is a step that you don't know. I mean, I, I can tell you, I, I get the definite sense that if there were some, well, let's put it this way. Even as a kid, when you'd hear about you know the old hermit who hasn't been seen in fifty years living in a cave by himself and all of that, you know, and he's this enlightened guy and all of that, you know, you always you say to yourself, well, why do they hide themselves away? Why do they? And I'll tell you, it to me, I mean, just in the thoughts about what would happen if this guy behind all this stuff. I mean, and it's not like I can readily access him at will. It's not like I can be that person instantly. Do you understand what I mean by that? I mean, it's not like I can just go, okay, I'm going to drop every mask I've got and just talk to you like like that guy. That guy feels separate from consciousness, I guess, or it's the root of that. I don't know what it takes to access that. I only know that in certain states that I am in with the with this phenomena and certain experiences that, like I just explained, that that seems to be what's in the forefront. But I don't know how to control that to the forefront. 
But if you could and you did get there and you did learn that, I don't believe you'd have a whole hell of a lot to say. I really don't. Well, that's I think absolutely that, true. And that's where you get back to why does the guy, why does the hermit who has attained some sort of enlightened state, why does he hide himself away in a cave and run away when people come to see him or to find out if he's still alive? It's because there's not anything to say because at that point, you're right. You don't care what people think and you really don't care much for what they have to say or to offer because you're over that. I mean, you're, it's, you know, what did we say UFOs are so two minutes ago? And how long did we hang around? Um, to actively engage in that sort of stuff, you know. I mean, it's like, and believe me, I'm not painting myself as some kind of enlightened ufological exile, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, are you? <laughs> no, I mean, I just think I'm. I think I'm over so many of the questions that people are asking. I just it doesn't matter because the question itself is has no basis in. Being asked. Well, aren't you even over, like, the stuff you're saying half the time? Like, is it fair to say that without sounding like a snob? You mean, like, in detailing experiences and all that? No, I just mean in even talking about this stuff. It's like somewhere in the back, it's like, dude, you know what the answer to this shit is. Why are you even... (laughs) Um, You've already been there, done that. So what is this conversation about? For their benefit, they don't give a shit. I... (laughs) Um, We're still rolling, right? I mean... (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I don't really, I don't really know. I I like talking about it, but again, there is society's benchmark or standard that, you know, is what, what, yeah, I mean, here's, here's where it goes is you're talking about this kind of stuff with me and I've in this field, whatever you want to call it, I've kind of regulated myself to examining evidence and leveling a a judgment based on everything that I've seen and everything I'm looking at and comparing to and very analytical based stuff. And so to hear me talk about inner self and dropping masks and all that kind of stuff, I mean, that immediately for some people, I I know the comments that'll, that'll be thrown around are, well, he's really gotten new age, he hasn't he? Or he's really or Jeremy's really infected him. I mean, there's a there's a popular one. So I'm over that. I mean, I'm I'm to the point where I don't even care about that part of it. I still enjoy talking about the nature of consciousness and what it means to be here. We are all like hopelessly alive and here right now, and we don't even know what that means. <laughs> I find that fascinating. Mm-hmm. You know, I really do. And and I would love to have the courage for somebody to say, here's how you can access this, and, and it's there all the time. I would love to have the courage to, 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 to close my eyes and take that walk of faith off that cliff and know that I'm not going to plummet. And even if I do plummet, you know, there's nothing at the ground to meet me. Um, I... But I, I have to say I'm hopelessly attached to um, what I know, and what I know is comfortable. I, I mean, and this goes right into our favorite guy, Terrence. I mean, Terrence was asked at you know a lecture uh, when he talked about DMT, and he knows there's something past the, the, the elf machines and 
you know, there's something past that. And some guy stood up in the audience and said, well, then why don't you do more and find out? And he said, well, because I'm comfortable with, with where I'm at. I'm comfortable being who I am, where I am, how I am. And to change that, again, takes no small measure of courage to, to have that happen. I'm not there yet. I think decidedly that the, the guy in, in the black shroud, whatever it represents or whatever it is, is, is trying to speak to that guy, but that guy is still a little freaked out by, cause there, I mean, you can attest to this. There is a definite physical, physicality, physical sensation to that feeling that's not just regulated to an epiphany or an idea or a thought. It's everything. Everything, I mean, you've talked about seeing lights and, and like my forehead lit up or my spine lit up and all that. You're acclimated to that in some sense, to the physicality of the feeling. You're a lot more apt to let loose of fear of the physicality. Some of the things you talked to me about, like I felt like this, and I'm like, Jesus, if I felt like that, I'd be jumping up and pacing the room. Like, what's wrong with me? Am I having a stroke? Is this a heart attack? I'm that guy. Okay. Um, the mushroom had that definitive effect on me until what was said. You, you might as well just sit the fuck down because we're in for the ride here. You know, uh, put the put the rail down on the roller coaster because you're not getting off for a while. Well, do you think you're I mean, always going to be that guy, or do you think that um, that that's no? I, th- I think I'm actually getting somewhat better about it. There was a point, and I'll go back to again laying in bed and having that epiphany feeling and and this realization that was deeper than any realization that I can describe with words and actually saying okay I and I'll tell you Jerry and this is something that I didn't even talk to you about it was weirdly similar to coming in waves it was weirdly similar like I would feel myself pushing back from whatever I'm pushing back from I I felt as if I was coming out of the body. That's what I felt like it felt like. and But it was just blackness. I didn't see me laying on the bed or anything like that, but it was just this deepening blackness that I seemed to be receding into. And some kind of detachment happening. And I can't quite explain how that feels, but a loss of something big. Something was dying. And to, to feel that it came in waves, like the mushroom comes in waves. You can feel it coming on. And I said, when I felt this coming on, again, the pictures start flashing. Um, and it even tried to placate me with music. <laughs> I mean, it tried to placate, listen to this. And I listened, I was like, wow, I should be writing these lyrics down. <laughs> I, should be, I should be trying to remember this tune. I should hum this into a tape recorder, but I, I'm just not moving right now. And, and all of a sudden, I feel it backing me out again, and the realization is hitting me again. And I said to myself, okay, I'm going to let this go. I'm, I'm okay. Jeremy always just says, let go. Go with it. And so I, I did. I said, I'm going to go. I'm going to let go. And I, go, and I went further into this blackness than I had gone in, in the previous you know, waves. And when I did that, I get a physical buzzing in my right ear. That sounds like an underwater – everybody knows what it sounds like when you jump into a pool and do a cannonball and you go underwater. You get that – well, I got that, but it had a, an electrical staticky sound overtone to it. 
and it was really loud. And I almost felt like my right cheek actually vibrating from it. And I, I just, I said, that's it. I, I can't do it. And it's, it's a, it was an extreme effort to snap myself out of it, to go, no, no. And I'm pulling myself, you know, on the bed. I was completely awake, but I, I had to fight to get back to like a feeling of my fingertips are in my fingertips. It's like, I'm wearing this meat sleeve, you know, mm-hmm. I had to force myself back into that and like hold on with all my might to not let it pull me out. I don't know what the fuck that was. I don't know what it meant. I don't know if that was an OBE happening. I don't know if it was an increased DMT in the brain. I don't know if it was some external source beaming something at my skull at night. I don't know. But uh, something, I mean, this woke me from a dead sleep. And it happened very fast. It was almost like you felt like you were being down, something was being downloaded at you. Um, and you've talked about that sort of feeling. And I very much, I mean, that's why I say I equate it to it's like a veiny experience, you know. And I, I had not really had anything like that before. But to go back to the focus of intent and the thoughts are things thing, what were we talking about the very night that it happened? We were talking, and we had the first real in-depth conversation about the things you discussed the most, which is this death of self, all being one, all of that sort of thing. And for the first time since I've known you, and I said this to you on the phone, I felt like I had absorbed enough of what you had said and had internalized it enough to be able to actually try and have an intelligent conversation with you about it. And and not, like, have you think, boy, he's really an idiot. He still doesn't get it. I finally kind of got it to a point, and I'm saying, I'm asking you these questions, and we're in this deep discussion before dinner that night. And then we ended the discussion that night. Boom, there it is. I mean, what is that about? <laughs> if not a focus of intent, if not a, you know, not to bring up, another sore subject with you, but, you know, asking you shall receive as you believe, so shall it be. I mean, all of these things kind of point to the same thing. It's just whatever kind of box you want to fit it into. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know the, the whole, well, but it was more than that. You got something. There's a, <laughs> an understanding which clears a block, which then releases yeah. you. Right. I mean, it's not just like you intended something because you've been intending since like, right. we, we started right. talking for yeah. you know to know what the fuck I was saying. Right. 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 I mean, it was all trying to. I mean, and I think enough people understand what I say that you're a hard guy to kind of you 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 have such a deep understanding of some of these things because you've experienced this. And I, th- and I personally believe it's a very unique ex- thing that y- you are experiencing. And so to you, it seems normal to speak of this type of stuff. It seems right, and it seems, and you feel a need to do it, obviously. And you do communicate it ultimately very effectively. But even still, for somebody like me who doesn't uh, get it, that doesn't, and almost, and to be honest with you, I think I said this to you, almost like, Okay, whatever. I, I'm never going to get it. <laughs> you know, whatever. I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I understand it to a point, but it's not getting through. It's not hitting that 
that root nerve to say, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know. And then finally, uh, you know, w- we have this conversation where I'm like getting more and more of what you're saying. You know, it, it, it's, it's, I, I reach a saturation point with, with some of the stuff you were trying to explain to me. And, um, you know, so, I mean, for you, I know you get very agitated sometimes when people just don't get it. But yeah, I am totally the worst person for whatever this is. <laughs> well, no, I don't think you are. I think it I think the only thing that you have to realize is that it is very hard to get your head around it. I mean, at least it was for me. And I believe me, I'm sure I'm not most people out there. I'm sure there's I mean, I'll bet 90 percent of our audience is smarter than I am. But you're you're coming at it from. Not a, I mean, when we're talking, we're in a paranormal mindset here, and this is not what fits into that commonly held framework of this is paranormal discussion. This is not about that. This is about a deeper sense of, of reality, of, you know, uh, of self, of what you really are. I think you're always going to be met with friction with that because nobody wants to drop their mask, right? I mean, that's the game. That's the game we're all playing. And um, what's the rock and roll guy say, you know? All the world's indeed a stage. We are merely players. I mean, that's the truth. That is exactly what's going on. So how do you... How does everybody drop the mask at the same time? That's that's the question. Can, can that be done? Or can it be infectious that this all happens, you know? Um, and that's like my... That's my recurring dream that I've had for a long, long time that... You know, we're standing out on the street and everybody's going to work and they're driving their business trucks or they're delivering milk and all of a sudden everybody just stops and drops what they're doing. They like, look around like, what are we doing? <laughs> what's going on here? What, what, what's going on? What, what have we been doing for our entire human existence? And, uh, and from there, I don't, know, I don't know where that goes. I mean, does everybody become the hermit on the hill at that point? <laughs> does everybody stop talking? Yeah, man. Cool. All right. See ya. <laughs> I mean, where, where did it go from now? I don't know. I'm sure it goes somewhere. Great. I mean, I, I don't see how it can be bad. But, um, you know, the minute you talk about people giving up individuality, I mean, this whole culture fo- focuses on setting yourself apart and being unique and being a, you know, this 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 individual person, and, and to say, no, we're all the same thing. That's disturbing to some people, I'm sure. It is to me in in certain senses. Yeah. Well, I think it's more disturbing than even the people who believe it um, understand. (laughs) Because they believe it, and therefore they think that that means that they're onto it. Right. See, I think this is where, like, I go horribly awry with people, is Mm. in trying to make the really, like, the minute clarity there that... That believing in an or setting it up as an ideology or as something that you get intellectually is not doing it is not being it right you know and 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 the reason that you are setting up that ideology or setting it apart from yourself is because of that fear even mm-hmm. if you don't want to see that mm-hmm. even if you're going to argue with me that everybody's got their own path and everyone can do whatever they want blah 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 right this is where I'm like bad for this because. Uh, I know that not to be the case. <laughs> right. And I know that from experience, but I also know that what I'm saying is, like, it's more true than than anything right. that I've heard yet from anyone telling me that I'm full of shit. Yeah. 
Um, but then to say that out loud is to be what arrogant elitist or is to be setting yeah. up your own belief system. Yeah. But, but no, it's, it's like such a, it's the opposite of that. Yeah. It, it's, yeah, I mean, really it is. It is the, it is. Yeah, it's exactly the opposite of that. <laughs> yeah. But you know, but once again, it, it get, let's bring it back to dreams. Um, because I use the analogy on the message board and I think it holds when you're dreaming, there's no question that the dream is real. I mean, unless it's a lucid dream and you wake up in the dream, you're like, oh, my God, I'm dreaming. Right. Yeah. Which is what I've done in real life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Uh, but for everyone else who's, like, still in the dream, it's like, oh, my God, no, this is real. No, you're crazy. This is this this is absolutely reality. Right. And for people who sort of intuit that that's not true, they sort of get the sense that there's something wrong here. Um then they follow another direction. It's like you, you get, you know, hey, look over here. Hey, look over here. Right. You know, it, because everything is you distracting yourself from dying. I mean, that, that's what it all is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, when I talk to, again, when I talk to Lee uh, after that, after I talked to you about that night, you know, I said, it felt like I was dying. And his answer was, well, you were. <laughs> but not like you think, you know, not like you fear. Um, you're talking about, I mean, he said it exactly, just it parroted exactly what you said. It's like it's a death of the self. It's the death of that mask. That mask is breaking off your face. And I'll wager to bet most people, you know, I, I've had tried to have this conversation with friends of mine and stuff. They're like, well, I don't know what you mean by a mask. You know, I'm me and I'm who I am and I don't act different you know, here than I do there or with this person or that person. And, you know, the, the one thing that, that got it for a friend of mine was, um, and this is something that everybody in this audience, I'm sure can or has felt already. Um, when you're at work and you're with your workmates at work, and then the occasion comes up where you say, I want to have everybody over to the house because you just think that would be fun to do. And then the day of it, you know, you're scrubbing the house and you're making sure your hair is right and you're making sure you got, you know, appropriate clothes on. And there's that ever sensing twinge of apprehension about that because for the first time, the people that you work with are going to meet your family. They're going to see how you interact with your family they're going to see a different mask than the mask you wear at work. And this can be a work thing. This can be your bandmates. This can be, you know, uh, one set of friends versus another set of friends. It can be all of that. And then you recognize, yeah, there's the mask. I wear a mask at work. I wear a mask at home. I wear a mask on the air. I wear a mask off the air. And, and that's how you truly feel that. And it's not about... Well, you know, I flirt with uh, Sarah at work, and so, wow, my wife is like, are they going to bring up that I flirt with Sarah at work and my wife's going to – it's not that. (laughs) It's about one facet of your life encroaching on another where before there was no encroachment. They were two completely separate things. This is why kids, when they reach 15, 16 years old, when the masks are firmly in place, guess what? They don't want you around anymore. Yeah, I was just going to use that as an analogy, but there it is. My kid does not want me hanging out, you know, like, well, I mean, we're going to see Iron Maiden this month, and 
and it's like I'll be taking him and a friend of his because I we always go, and and that's fine, and and that I, that that's fine. We can hang then, but when it comes to my son and his girlfriend and a bunch of other friends, and I'm taking them to the land center to play Halo or whatever. At that point, you know, uh, my kid doesn't he doesn't want to interact with me as much around his friends because there again, there's the friends, there's the parents. Never the two shall meet, but they have to meet at some point. And that's why kids don't want you around because now their masks are solidified. They're no longer that that uh, thin cellophane of you know kids. Now they're becoming adults, so the masks are on. And that's just how it works. Uh, and so when you're in the presence of whatever this is and you talk about you know, asking the right questions, and all, well, it's hard when you realize how naked you are in front of this phenomena and what it is, um, or, or not what it is, but how it affects that mask. I think for me, that is the most, that's the heaviest hurdle. To, to try and recognize. And so, and I think, you know, I, well, I think, you know, Whitley may be a, a good example of, you know, that's like a lifetime pursuit is, is the effort of trying to be around this phenomena of sound mind. It's not sound mind, but to be around it and be around it and be around it. <laughs> Just to be there in the presence of that. And recognize I'm in the presence of this, and there's no lying, and it sees right through all of the bullshit, and how do you acclimate to that? I mean, Jeremy, for you, what life relation could you attribute the same feeling, the same feel, the same, the same dance in a relation with the phenomena, however it might interact with you, whatever way it interacts? How or what real life, real life, when I say real life, I mean masked life or uh, uh, human interaction, could you equate that with? None, right? Yeah. (laughs) None. That's the part for me that's like there is nothing, you know – to, to, to look upon something that you don't know what it is and then to say it's here and it's closer to me than anything that has ever been for me. You know, that's, that's just bizarre. I mean, it, and it's just, uh, I think that's why we fight it so much. I think that's why we wrestle with all of these possibilities. And we're, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to seek something now that's already found us. To begin with, it's yeah. already there. Well, it's also trying to figure out: does that feeling of familiarity um, is that because it's familiar, or is it because that's what happens when you touch any unknown, like anything that right. ex- expands your horizons? Immediately reminds you that the reason your horizons can be expanded is because the small, uh, insulated self is not real. And so yeah. familiarity is the familiarity with yourself as your true self. If, right. If I can be so new agey as to say yourself as your true self. <laughs> yeah. I'll go get your, your beads now. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I mean, yeah, that's, that's I mean, it. I don't know. I, I, you know, it may be that there is a familiarity that is legit in this. I'm just saying we, you know, I, at least I don't know. 
Uh, it feels like there is. It feels like there's something else, a, a bond of, of some sort. And why does it feel childlike? Yeah, well, that I, you know. I mean, what is that? Why is there that feeling about all of it that you are instantly transformed into a child? You are. Can we be friends? <laughs> I don't even know if it's that. I mean, it's just like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, whatever it is feels expansive and bigger than you and. You are just uh Well, it's like that you feel like a fraud and that the childlike is the thing that you really are. <laughs> you know? Like maybe, that, yeah. That carefree whatever, whatever. I mean, all these cares in the world that we have about things are mostly just complete horseshit that we've told ourselves are maturity. But they're yeah. not. They're like add-ons to to fortify yourself, to block right. out the world because you've had some bad situations or whatever. Yeah, you've been handed your script. Yeah. Yeah. But you get off that script, and there's some great freedom there, and that great freedom brings with it, you know, childlike naivete. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can, I can see into that. Yeah. But so, uh, wow, we're way over time. But what the hell? <laughs> let, me, let me just throw this out there then, because we've also been talking about whether or not some of this stuff is demonic or all of it, oh, yeah. and what that even means. And um, I, I just, um, as we're talking here, it. it, it it's like, well, if it's if it's that stupid, like like the good evil thing, oh. I mean, if, if we're saying that the self isn't real and that there's a self beyond the self or, or whatever that is, the, the true self, the expanded self, um, then why would the the stages or the, the hierarchical stupid structures, why would these intelligences or this one intelligence masked as multiple intelligences, whatever it is, right. why would that um, actually... Why would that be the truth of that thing, the thing that we're shedding? Huh. Does that make sense? Like, why would it? Why would it be stuff that we equate with the mask if the mask isn't real and it's real? Oh, reflection. Well, there you go. Then the demonic is us. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's more than just a cultural filter. I think it's it's definitely. And I think I talked about this with Eric on the phone one night. It's like you know, we were sitting around. I, uh, I think I must have said something like, you know, like I've said before that, you know, back in the day when there were small men running about my condominium, um, scraping my arm in the middle of the night and shit like that, I, that I immediately would freak out and. <laughs> You know, you, you say, well, what is what is this all? What is this masquerade about? You know, why the who's Eric? You know, first of all, uh, Eric. Um, Close? Uh, no, no, no. Um, uh, Redwood Jedi. Oh, okay, on our forum. Um, and you know, and it's the same thing. I thought is like you know, there, there's this when you when you get into that panic state, there is always to me. There's always been this overwhelming feeling, even though it's not expressed visually or anything like that. But there's always been kind of this feeling like, ah, she's again, you know, with the the screaming and the crying and the running. It's like, Phew. and then there's the pacification mode where it's like, no, 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 no. It's a, sh- sh- sh-. you know, there's always that kind of feeling about it. And it's true. I mean, what if this whatever it is? Because it seems to manifest in so many different ways, you think, well, this thing can do it can do anything. I mean, you know, and but what if it can't? What if it can't get through to what we are? 
And the only way it gets through is to present itself as spacemen or ghosts or whatever. And that's like the that's like the only hatch it's got to get. And so when we see it, immediately we think the unknown. It's going to take me away, or it's going to kill me, or it's this, that, the. And so the immediate reaction is fear. When all it's trying to do is go, hello, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, like me, recognize, ask- recognize that I'm here. Which immediately, when Eric said that, I was like, yes, that would be the reason that I've always said that their main thing in some interactions with me has been like, recognize us as real, recognize what we are, recognize that we're here, that you're here, we're here, and this is real. Recognize that. But you, why, would it, they, why would they show up to you, somebody they've had extensive and deep interaction with, uh, why would they then bother to show up as a Civil War soldier saying, sir, they're coming around from the back. <laughs> right. Something so shallow that... It would not serve you in your community or nondescript. I mean, not even even suspect. I mean, uh, I don't know. Um, and 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 again, what? Well, maybe they're not the same. I mean, we've always said that maybe all this stuff comes from a single source. But what if it doesn't? I mean, what if we're wrong about that? I mean, we don't know what that is, um, and we don't know what we're seeing. But is it possible that that whatever, like for you? Out there at Spangler Spring, you disappear and you're off doing Tai Chi moves in the pitch black dark. And <laughs> and and I say, what's going on? You're like, I'm surrounded. Uh, you know, again, what if there is a uh, what if something rubs off from this experience that then either attracts other phenomena or allows you to perceive other phenomena? What if it's like a stain in that way? What if it leaves a residue? Um, I mean, it's as good as you know. It's as good as an idea as any. But what if what if part of it's that? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, certainly when you're talking about shadow people and stuff like that, I mean, that's a little less descript than a spirit. They don't know what that is. I mean, for me, you know, uh, seeing my wife in the hallway. I mean, what was that? Why did that happen? What purpose did that serve other than just to be weird? Maybe that has nothing to do with this. Maybe that's just like a byproduct. But, I mean, I've kind of come to this place where it's like full circle for me. It's like what I thought years ago was that the UFOs, the ghosts, the, you know, pick your poison in the paranormal, uh, that it's all a symptom and it's a symptom of something much, much bigger. And I think what you have hit, a, what you have hit upon with this realization with consciousness and all this reality, the nature of reality, what it means to be alive, what consciousness means, what is time, all of those things, I think that's the symptom. Those are – those or not the symptom. Those are what's causing these symptoms. The question is why, how, for what purpose, what does it mean? I mean these are really the – these are really the bigger questions in the paranormal. And we'll solve those next week. Oh, wait. Yeah, I guess. No, no we won't. <laughs> wow, I got a headache. <laughs> I mean... You're going to be seeing some stuff tonight. Too, too, entirely too much conversation. <laughs> well, now that we've put everyone to sleep... Um, or are they just waking up for the first time? Right. First time in their lives. 
Anyway, everybody have a good weekend and a good week. And uh, just forget everything we said. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna just release it into the ether. <laughs> um. So, do we want to say who's coming up next week? Colin Reed. He's Not Scottish. Col- Not Colin Andrews. Colin no, not Colin Reed. Not Colin okay. Reed. Yes, Colin Reed, not Colin Andrews. Great. Um, <laughs> and he he wanted to do, um, I don't know, a little over an hour. Oh, and nice. then it became two hours, and then it became four hours. So oh. Now, ordinarily, I would be like, well, who wants to do a two-parter? But then he's Scottish, and you've got that cool accent. So I think we want to do the two-parter. What's not to like? That's right. So it's part one of two. Colin Reed, his thoughts, his experiences, and his accent. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be co-hosting with his accent. That's true. And uh, um, he also uh, talks about sigils and Grant Morrison. And wow, is this not the new theme? Yeah, well, it's pretty interesting. You know? Yeah. And we're still working on, are we still working on uh, Grant getting him on the show? Um, are you? Uh, I wrote him. I haven't heard anything back. Oh, well, then I will sick Colin Reed on him since they're both yes, Scottish. Let's do that. And um, uh, and so, and then after that, uh, that's a two-parter, and then we have nothing. So if you folks want this show to go on, <laughs> uh, Wes Owsley, if you can hear my voice, I know you were going to do something. Uh, get on it. Or we will go away, or we'll make a comeback, or we'll explode i don't know what we'll do well i've got a i've got one that i think uh we can do uh collectively together that could be could be a neat interview um i'm not going to say who until i can solidify it with him but um he's local and i can talk to him whenever i want so um if i can secure that then we'll maybe we'll do our first special with that guy and and then if we can get grant morrison that'll be one yeah and uh well i'm hoping that people will after this interview with or interview after this episode with John uh, and the next week's with Colin, that people will get a taste of that. It's okay to talk to yourself and be nervous about it and just work through it and get your ideas out there. Like, yeah, I mean, I mean look, no- look at what John, John has now spawned like what an hour and a half worth of us. Um, right. Yeah. Free forming, um, you know, based on some of the stuff in his show. So cool. Yeah. I mean, it's already spiraling out and doing its thing. And so don't you guys want to be a part of that? Of course you do. Yeah. So suck up the nerves, put your lips to a microphone, and get that tape to me. Yeah. And John, thanks for a great show, man. I mean, it's a fantastic job. And yes. thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you very much for uh, for doing that. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, yeah, more to come, I'm sure. Very nice. Very nice. Sweet dreams. Same to you. Bye bye. <laughs>